You're, you're, you're listening to the Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Didn't you coach Burt Reynolds? Yes, I did. Was he any good? He was a defensive back. I know. Was he any good, I said. 103.9 FM LI News Radio presents The Weekend Crunch with Errol Marks and Speedy Petey. Hello, Long Island, New York, and around the country. This is The Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host. Speedy Petey. Remember, kill us on our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. We have a wonderful guest that will be joining us a little bit later in the show. You guys know him from Fox Sports, NFC East reporter Ralph Vacchiano. He's very well known in the NFL, one of the biggest reporters throughout Fox Sports. Definitely excited to have him on. We'll talk a little NFC with him, especially the NFC East where he's been working with the Giants over the years and now throughout the NFC East, so I'm very excited. Giants fans listening out there might remember him from SNY just recently as well before he went to Fox. He was the main insider for the Giants, and Ralph's a great guy, and we're looking forward to having him on. Absolutely. a lot of stuff going on in sports. The Brett Favre story seems to rain fire. Is Brett going to jail? It's scary to think that one of the greatest quarterbacks ever play the game made a mistake like this. Who would have thought that one of the greatest players, one of the greatest quarterbacks could see jail time? Crazy. Robert Sarver is selling... The Phoenix Suns, the racist remarks and some of the different things that have come out throughout the Phoenix Suns organization. The questions are definitely going to be answered on the reasons why all of a sudden, out of the blue, nobody was forcing him out. He decides to sell the Mercury and the Phoenix Suns after the story came out to the press. A sad situation for the NBA because here's another owner being caught saying derogatory things, sexist remarks and homosexuality and then racist remarks, anti-Semitic. It's not good for the NBA as Adam Silver is definitely going to have to answer these questions. A lot of football to talk about as the New York Jets surprise everybody in week number two. Something not expected after Robert Sala opened his mouth and said he's going to be taking receipts. Usually Jet coaches open their mouth and fall flat on their face. Well, the Jets did not fall flat on their face. They made the Browns fall on their face. The New York Giants are 2-0. and Giant fans are very shocked and surprised. Yeah. I'm not. Their schedule really fits to success. There's not many things that stands out for the Giants except their defense without their dominant pass rushers, which we'll probably see this week. Love looks like he turned out to be a pretty good pick as Gettleman might have found a gem. I think Dable is for real. I think the team believes in him. I think the players believe in him. I think he's going to be a very good coach in New York, especially for the Giants. A lot of crazy things happen in week number two. Arizona-Vegas game. Cowboys knocking off the Bengals with Cooper Rush. And then Jerry Jones comes out at the end of the game saying that he would welcome a quarterback frenzy. When Dak comes back, are you kidding me? Jerry Jones needs to learn how to keep his mouth shut because... If I was Dak, I wouldn't want to hear that. I just got a big contract in the offseason. I'm coming back from a major injury. Yes, I'm not 100% healthy, but I have fought so many woes over the last couple of years, and now I'm hearing this. Come on. And last year in the playoffs with Dak and that sliding thing, it made no sense. I think Jerry just needs to learn how to keep his mouth shut. So we'll go through week number two, Moneyline Mania, everything that's going on with the Boston Celtics as well. They look like they're the joke of the NBA right now. No longer the clowns of... Of Brooklyn. It's now the crazy frenzy of the 
Brad Steven, Boston Celtics. Uh, Doka, it seems like he's going to be out for the season. The Celtics are going to have to answer some questions because there has to be more deeper information that we're not hearing. Is Boston going to be forced to fire their head coach? Because this is not going to stay shut. This is not yeah. over. And the Boston Celtics are expected to be one of the competitive top three teams in the Eastern Conference. Now without Adoka, what are they going to do? That's something that has to be answered by Brad Stevens. And he better answer it soon because the season's right around the corner. And Aaron Big Daddy Judge is one away from tying Roger Maris. Tied Babe Ruth, and he has a chance to win not only a home run record, he could win the batting title and the Triple Crown. And if the Yankees somehow go all the way to the World Series and win the World Series, it could be one of the greatest seasons a player ever had. Unbelievable what he is doing. So why don't we get into some NFL, and we'll go into the New York Jets first, because on Sunday, there was a lot of skepticism. There's a lot of argument attacks on Robert Sala and what he said in the middle of the week after losing to the Baltimore Ravens. And Baltimore didn't look good this past weekend either. Having a huge lead against Miami and then getting knocked off by Tua, having one of the greatest games Tua has ever had in his career. The Jets had a lot of answers to the press and had to show up on Sunday and not get beaten by a team by double digits. This has been a problem for the New York Jets for the last few Septembers. They've been the worst September team in the NFL. A lot of the Browns fans believed that this was going to be a sure thing. And in the first half, a lot of people believed that the Cleveland Browns were going to pull away. And it wasn't because of their star quarterback, which they don't have one right now, because he's sitting on the bench. It's not going to be because of their wide receivers or lack of wide receivers, except Amari Cooper. And it's not going to be because of their offensive line or defense that did not play well in that game, especially when they needed it to play well. And I don't want to hear about you, David Clowney's injury, and that's what caused them to lose in the fourth quarter, because that's not true. What the Jets did finally in this game is use a weapon that they drafted in the top 10, and that's Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson was barely used in the first half last game against the Baltimore Ravens, and then when they started to use him in the second half, It was a little too late when they were down and they were probably going to lose. So finally in game number two, Mike LaFleur started listening to the fans and listening to the press. Where was your star wide receiver, the guy that you decided to draft at number 10? When are you going to start using him? And boy, oh boy, did he start using him with Joe Flacco in week two. Eight catches, over 100 yards, two touchdowns. Just completely dominant. And the Jets haven't had a playmaker like this. I can't even remember the last guy that was. Antonio Holmes, he was there for one year that he actually had a good year. He got a contract. He was horrible. Couldn't stay off. Braylon Edwards. Brandon Marshall, probably the best one out of all of them. He was there for two years, but that one year with him and Eric Decker. 15, yeah. Yeah, that was a sensational year, but he wasn't a Jet. He was brought in as a free agent. This is a Jet. You can have with Zach Wilson for the next 10 years. And I think having a weapon that can run so many different routes and make plays in the open field the way he can, it's going to open up opportunity for Davis and Elijah Moore who I think could be outstanding but I just don't know what he is as a player yet because he couldn't stay healthy last year and not only Garrett Wilson another player showed up in his first big game as an NFL player and that's Brees Hall the second round pick the best running back in this class I believe could be a Matt Forte type of player this guy could do it all catch the ball run up the hole find different seams in that defense and, and just completely beat up 
a defensive line. But not only that, Joe Flacco, a veteran quarterback that didn't look good in game one, actually stepped into the pocket, made the plays, threw over 300 yards, which everybody thought was washed up, including yours truly. And Robert Sala, with the smiles on his face, this team believes in him. He believes in his players. That shows you something that the Jets have not had for years. I took shots at Robert Sala because I don't like when he takes a shot at the fans, and I don't like how he takes a shot at the press saying that he's going to take receipts. But one game isn't enough. That was one of the greatest comebacks for the New York Jets. You don't see that. There was a 99% chance the Jets were going to come back in that game with 90 seconds left and have to score 13 points. Braden Mann, that everybody took shots at, had one of the bad kicking weeks on week one, said that he's a joke, he's horrible. Well, guess what? He made an onside kick that threw off the Browns, actually (laughs) threw off the Jets, too. Amari Cooper fumbling the ball. You could take Amari Cooper out of Dallas, but you can't take Dallas out of Amari Cooper. And what we really saw was a New York Jet team do something they haven't done in 10 years. If you're a Jet fan today, going into week number three, one and one, in a division that's very competitive, you have to be very excited. It's not only the Jets. No team has come back down by 13 points under two minutes since 2001. And guess who blew that lead, too? The Browns, ironically, against the Bears. So the Jets pulled off a feat that was absolutely monumental. The most monumental part about it, Garrett Wilson. Nobody was questioning his route running. A lot of the draft handles we had on the show, that mm. was the one receiver that was they were never having a major question on because of the way he ran routes. They were so crisp. A lot of them in the slot, some of them on the outside as well, against Denzel Ward. And the Browns never really adjusted it to guard him full-time because they're like, oh, you're not going to see it coming. The Jets are going to spread the ball around. Nope. They just kept feeding Garrett Wilson. They made up for last week. Reese Hall didn't run the ball much, seven carries, but 50 yards in that game, averaged 7.1 yards a carry. Very impressive shiftiness. You're looking at a very complete player. I know you brought up Matt Forte. Matt Forte was a very good dual-threat running back that could be a runner and a receiver. Maybe you could see Brees Hall do that kind of thing, too. But I also have Michael Carter, Joe Flacco, too. Who would have thought the top three passing yards? Carson Wentz, Tua, and Joe Flacco. Just like we all expected. The Jets have haven't played on all cylinders. The defense, the offense, and special teams have not played well in one game. When that happens, I'm interested to see what this team could do. When Zach Wilson comes back, Dwayne Brown comes back, they solidify that offensive line, which they expected to be a pretty good offensive line this year. Shout out to Max Mitchell, who has taken the reins at the right tackle position, a guy that nobody thought was ready to start in the NFL. He has played sensational. He's quietly having a very good season. Elijah Vera Tucker is an all-pro player. I think he's going to be one of the best guards in football. That line is going to show it. I was very impressed with Max Mitchell jumping on that fumble. There's a lot of impressive things that we've seen from this kid. I think his personality fits here. He has that New York state of mind type of personality. There's one thing that he has stood out for is health, something that Makai Beckham has not had. When Makai comes back next year, he might win the job over Makai. I do believe that George Font won't be there next year. Dwayne Brown's going to be there next year. It's going to be between Makai Beckham, who can't stay healthy, and then you have Max Mitchell, who has been very impressive as a rookie, a fourth-round draft pick. So far, this draft class that Joe Douglas has had, Gardner is going to be special. Garrett Wilson is going to be special. Jermaine Johnson, we haven't seen enough of because he's still figuring out who he is and his identity on the field. He had a pretty decent first game. He kind of disappeared in the second game, but I believe he's going to be something special as well. Brees Hall, we all know, is going to be special. And then there's Clemens, who I think will be a starting defensive lineman by next year, especially if they can't bring back Quentin Williams. Max Mitchell, who was the last draft pick of this draft class and might be one of their better ones. Joe Douglas might have A-plus this draft class. And if you look at all the up besides Cross, he's been better than all the other ones. He's been better than Evan Neal. He's been better. Quan hasn't looked good. Max Mitchell has played against 
two of the better defensive lines in football and has played very, very well. Even in week one against Baltimore, it wasn't his side of the line that made mistakes. It was the other side, the veteran side, not the rookie side. So very impressive with the two young players on that offensive line. Then there's the New York Giants. I love what I've seen from Dable. I think he's a good coach. I think he's a great offensive mind. And we're seeing what Wink Martindale is as a defensive coordinator. He can make any defense run his style, his blitz packages, and put pressure on that quarterback. Baker Mayfield, he looked like he was running with no head, especially in the second half of that game. And the Giants don't have Thibodeau. They don't have Ojalari. Very impressive with secondary defensive linemen that wasn't expected to be max players on the field to be those guys to really show up in these games and really win games that... A lot of people, including Speedy, didn't think they were going to win. I did. The defense has been very impressive. Even though Daniel Jones' numbers don't show, and a lot of people say that they don't believe in him, he might not be the quarterback of the future, but he's winning. And that's all that matters. If there's a win on the board, and he's making the plays that need to be made, doesn't matter how many yards he throws and how many touchdowns he throws. Saquon Barkley did not show up in Week 2 like he did in Week 1. It didn't matter. They were better than Carolina. I think they're a better team than Carolina. Carolina is going to be a rebuilding team in the offseason. Christian McCaffrey, he could be looking to play somewhere else. Maybe they trade DJ Moore and rebuild this team. Star corner last year in the draft class, he got hurt. Matt Rule is probably going to go back to college football and coach one of those college teams that are firing their coaches. Maybe Notre Dame. And maybe Brian Kelly gets fired in his first year with LSU. Nebraska's coaching job is the one open right now, but now apparently they're going to try and go for Urban Meyer. Oh, that'll be fun. Oh, God, that'll be a train wreck. <laughs> Not that Urban Meyer is a bad college coach. But I don't think there. you want IP. PR nightmare that could be. Maybe they'll open up a bar with his name on it in Nebraska. Put a statue in front of the bar of him standing with his hands up in the air. Can't be any worse than what Scott Frost did, but nevertheless, going back to the Giants, yeah, the defense has been the most impressive thing for me, especially with the way Wig Martindale has managed the injuries so far. It's not only the injuries with the front seven, you brought up the edge rushers, but it's also the injuries with the secondary, too. When you look at Aaron Robinson was was hurt, Cordell Flott, really, the rookie third-round pick, has not played much. Xavier McKinney's been in and out, playing hurt a lot of the time. Other guys have stepped up well. Julian Love, I think, has been fantastic this year. Adoree Jackson's been good, and I think that's a big hater to Wig Martindale. The Giants have done a good job so far at taking away number one options very well. You saw them last week with Derrick Henry. This week it was DJ Moore. They really took away. I know he had a touchdown, but only 43 yards. Christian McCaffrey still had over 100 rushing yards, but even him wasn't like overly consistent either. So I think defensively they did a really good job. And now they get the edge rushers back to add some even more firepower to that defense. Well, that's what you want to see if you're a Giant fan. That's the future of that defensive line is those two guys. As far as the offense, yes, there was definitely a lot of concern with that offensive line in that game. I know Andrew Thomas, a lot of people ranked him as having one of the better performances. I thought he still had some issues with Brian Burns when Brian Burns was shifted over to that side. Evan Neal did not look great in that game either. While Daniel Jones didn't have the great statistical numbers, I don't think it was all his fault in this game. And he's been playing gritty so far. Good comeback so far. And Brian Dable's been coaching very well. Does not seem to be panicking in those late situations too. And Saquon Barkley, I I know he didn't play well that game, but he did play well in the fourth, so I'll give him credit on that. When we come back, ladies and gentlemen, we'll go into week number two. We'll go through all the games and our thoughts. A lot of crazy things happening in the NFL in week two and could change a lot of people's opinion on where some of these teams will be going into the middle of the season. When we come back, we'll get into all the games in week two here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, 
This is the Weekend Crunch. You can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9 The LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. Why don't we go through all the games of week number two? The Chargers and the Chiefs, Speedy. Kudos to Justin Herbert battling through that injury all throughout that fourth quarter. It ended up being a punctured rib, and he might play week three. Very fearless comeback effort he tried to put in. Relentless performance out there to make that game close. He played better than Patrick Mahomes. Char- Chargers dominated the first quarter and a half, but then the Chiefs really took over after that. I think their running game finally got it going. Clyde edwards has actually been pretty good this year. That adds another element to this Chiefs offense, and their defense, I think, has been very impressive so far this year, especially against the run, which has usually been their flaw so far. That front seven playing really well. The Chiefs right now are 2-0. Is anybody surprised about this? No. Patrick Mahomes is having one of those MVP seasons. Justin Herbert coming back, continuing that game with the injury that he had, uh, showing players and people that he will play and he will try to win, hurt or not hurt. That's something Phillip Rivers did with the Chargers. And now you have another quarterback that's not afraid to go out there and play for his team. I love what I saw with the Chargers. Offensively in the second half, they couldn't do anything. And the Chiefs defense, they put pressure on Herbert when they needed to, and they have to find a way. That offensive line for the Chargers is going to have to find a way to protect their quarterback, especially when he's the franchise player. But it was a great game. I think it'll be different when they go to L.A. I think both teams, both favored to come out of the AFC one way or another. Uh, Dolphins, Ravens. Wow, another great comeback from the AFC East. We talked about the Jets in segment one. Now the Dolphins, ferocious comeback against a loaded Ravens secondary. Yes, I know they lost Kyle Fuller for the year, but you're talking about a a secondary that went healthy is the best in football and a defense that is overall well-coached. And Tua, with the weapons that he was able to do, but also his accuracy, doing a great job, was able to extend plays very nicely. What a comeback for the Miami Dolphins. A career day for Tua. Tua was special in the game, and maybe this is the coming out party that everybody expected. Lamar Jackson had a good first half and died out in the second half, something he did not do with the New York Jets. He started off terrible against the Jets and then really took it over in the second half. And the Dolphins really uh, showed up in the second half and showed you why that this team is going to compete every single game, every single week. And with their coach, he might look dorky, but he knows what he's doing. I have been very impressed with this Dolphins team, which is 2-0. And they're tied with the Buffalo Bills as they head into Miami against the Buffalo Bills in week number three, where they could take sole custody of first place. Who would have thought that's Commanders. Lions. Lions dominated that entire game up until probably late in the third quarter, and the Lions have done a lot of different things this year. You're seeing much more receiving depth getting involved. Uh, Monroe St. Brown is becoming a good number one receiver, which Mm -hmm. I would have never expected. He looked good at certain points last year, and that running game is very good as well. This offensive line very underrated, too. A lot of bad teams. They criticized their offensive lines for a while. Not the Lions case. Defensively, they held out their own in the first half, struggled a bit in the second half, kind of got too conservative, but have played better than a lot of people have expected so far. I absolutely love what I saw with the Lions. And Jared Goff, I have taken shots at him. I didn't think he was a good quarterback in this league, but ever since he left Sean McVay, I think he's found who he is as a player. His personality is out there. The team trusts him. I think he's going to get an extension at the end of this season. I think he's the quarterback of the future of this team. I think this team's fun. By the way, Hutchinson having three sacks in that game, he's been the dominant force that they expected him to be. The Commanders had a chance to come back. McLaurin had a decent game, but they fell short. I expect that the Commanders are going to play hard throughout the season for their coach, Ron Rivera. Both teams 
have been very exciting to watch. The Lions, one and one. The Saints and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, the one loss for me in our three-for-all pick. We agreed on the other two games, and the Saints it looked like they were doing well to give me my under, but then Jameis Winston's fell apart badly in the fourth quarter. No Alvin Kamara definitely hurt for the Saints, mm-hmm. but I don't think he was going to be a main factor anyway because Tampa's run defense is he loaded. He will be playing this week. It's going to be what the Saints would have been able to do with the rest of the secondary. The Bucks did a good job taking away Michael Thomas, and Jarvis Landry was all right late in the game, but that was really it. Jameis Winston, I don't think they did a good job using those other weapons. Mike Evans needs to learn how to keep his hands to himself and stay out of the business between a quarterback and a cornerback that really didn't say anything. I don't know why everybody's taking shots at Lattimore. He walked past Tom Brady and put his hands up. Tom Brady walks at him, trying to start a fight. Mike Evans starts swinging at Lattimore. He's suspended, and he absolutely hurts Tampa Bay going into week three where they need him, especially with Godwin's injury. What I did see is the Buccaneers... In the second half of the game, when they needed a play, they made the plays. They ran the ball better than the Saints did in the second half. And that's why the Buccaneers won. This is not the same Tom Brady. This is not the same Buccaneers team that we saw last year. They are definitely beatable. Tom Brady's head's not in it. And when his head's not in it, you can see it. Yelling, he's smashing, iPads on the ground. He doesn't look very happy in the sidelines. Not with just the team, just himself. So this doesn't look like the same confident no. Buccaneers team we saw last year. It looks very 2015 Broncos, Peyton's final season. Their defense has been fantastic so far, but their offense, not so much. Jaguars and Colts. Well, speaking of offense, it's not joke. looking good. The Colts, oh boy. Why a joke. I know Pittman was out, but that's still not an excuse to get shut out by the Jaguars. You're the best running back in football. You're the best running back in football. A good offensive line. A good offensive coach that has done better against better teams in the past, and you get shut out by the Jaguars. Yes, I know they have the drought where they haven't won there since 2013. There's no excuse to get shut out by a Jaguars defense that has a lot of bad contracts. First of all, you play the Texans in week one, you tie, you get shut out by the Jaguars in week two. No excuses when you're supposed to be the best team in that division, in the weakest division, I believe, right now in football. Oh, by far. And the Jaguars, they showed up both weeks. The Jaguars should be 2-0 right now. And Trevor Lawrence, slowly but surely, is showing us what he could be and what he should be as the the number one and soon to be the next Andrew Locke, Peyton Manning. I don't know if he's the next guy, but he showed that he can knock off a pretty good team. So uh, the Jaguars win, and the Colts are in big trouble right now. Patriots Steelers. Low scoring as I expected. Bill Belichick owns Mike Tomlin at the end of the game. Done in his whole career, the Steelers. They won one game, I think, in the last decade or so against the Patriots. Both these offenses are a mess right now. The Steelers, they have a good running back in Najee Harris. Deontay Johnson's pretty good, but they don't have a lot of other things they could trust. Patriots, same kind of thing. They got tight ends that are all right. They have an offensive line that's okay and a running game that's fine, but not much to love of either of those teams. There was nothing interesting to watch about this game. This is the first year that I can honestly say that the Patriots are beatable. If you're a Jets fan or you're a Miami Dolphins fan, you can absolutely go into New England and beat them. And Bill Belichick, even though I still think he is a genius, he's starting to show us that he's getting old, just like Tom Brady. And I think teams are figuring him out. And Tomlin, stop making those faces at the end of the game. Chabitsky made some terrible mistakes at the end of the game, which put them in a situation where they couldn't come back. And when are they going to put Kenny Pickett in? I think it's time. Why not see Kenny Pickett versus Zach Wilson in week number four. Falcons, Rams. A tale of two halves. The Rams dominated right at the beginning of the game like we all expected. They got their redemption after getting blown up by the Bills, and 
Then they got a little too conservative. They almost pulled off at Atlanta Falcons. The Rams getting their passing game back. Still have issues running the ball and still have had issues with the slot area on defense. The Falcons definitely exposed that. Cordero Patterson, a nice game. Drake London, a lot of people were worried about his injuries, him getting off to a slow start, but he's played very well in both games so far. Even matched up against top corners, too. I love what I see with the Falcons. I love their offense. I love some of the young players. Where's Kyle Pitts? He has had two really undefined weeks. I want to see him show up in week three. We expect the Rams to win. They lost in week one against a Buffalo Bills team that everybody thinks is the best team in the NFL. I, I think the Rams have to figure out some of their new players. When they do, they're going to be very hard to beat. This yeah. is a very good team from top to bottom. Very well coached. I'm not surprised they knocked off the Falcons, but the Falcons have been very impressive. They're pesky, with, yeah. Even though that they're 0-2, they're putting up numbers, and I think they're going to bang out wins. They're figuring things out. Marcus Mariota's had a pretty good season so far. And their defense has talent. They've had just certain bad halves so far. Seattle and 49ers. Trey Lance gone for the year, and Jimmy G, redemption tour has begun for San Francisco. Already an offense that has had a lot of other injuries, too. Two running backs already hurt for the 49ers. George Kittle's been hurt. They're getting him back this week, but a banged-up offense. The defense has held their own, though. Bad quarter against the Bears, but so far they've looked stellar. Watch out for the 49ers. Jimmy G is back, and I think that with the NFC as weak as it is, and in that division, I think they can make a run. I think Jimmy G, everybody believes, the players believe in him. There was something about Trey Lance that you could see on the field that the players just didn't think that he was ready to take over the reins. Jimmy G sat on the bench, took less money to stay over there, and it's going to pay off. It might save Kyle Shanahan's job and John Lynch's job. I think they should be kissing his feet. I think that they can make a run. And with Debo Samuels and George Kittle stays healthy, I think this is going to be fun to watch. Dismantle the Seahawks team that are not good, even though what they did against the Broncos, another not good team. <laughs> that that was their Super Bowl. One game they wanted to win this year. Bengals-Cowboys. Oh, boy. Zach Taylor. This game planning has just been awful. I know your offensive line has been bad, but still, you're not even trying to adjust whatsoever. We haven't seen Joe Mixon really get it going. We haven't seen creativity with this offense. Yes, I know T. Higgins left the game in week one. He kind of played banged up this week, but still, there's no adjustments with this team. Joe Burrow's running for his life, and he's on pace to be sacked more than last year. That's a big problem. Their defense has held their own. They've stopped the run very well. We're still rushing the passer, but they've struggled in the fourth quarter. But again, I, most of this blame, I think, has to go on Zach Taylor and that offensive line. I'm scared as a Jet fan because you're going into a game the Bengals have not had a very good season. And now you have Joe Burrow frustrated and going into MetLife Stadium. It's not a good sign, especially last year when the Jets pulled off a win with a third-string quarterback. Cowboys, great defense. Micah Parsons, beast of a man. One of the best pass rushers, if not the best pass rusher right now in the NFL. There's nothing bad to say about their defense. It's just Cooper Rush. I, I don't know. Texans, Broncos. Oh, boy. Nathaniel Hackett. What is going on? on with you. The Broncos barely survived this game and they lose to the Seahawks. Seahawks and Texans might be the two worst rosters in the league. This team has a lot of problems. I like what I've seen with the Texans. I do. I, I, I they're think pesky, which it, yes. is fine. That still doesn't show good for the Broncos, though, either. Jerry Judy got hurt in that game, too, which doesn't help. Cortland Sutton's been all right. Running backs have been inconsistent, and that defense is definitely not as good as last year. I've right been now. very impressed with the Texans' defense. They've kept good teams, good offensive teams, pretty low on the scoreboard. There's really nothing to say about the Broncos, but they're very, very lucky. Being 1-1 one one right now, they're in a hard division. Russell Wilson got a lot of money. He needs to show up in these games and make the plays. I don't care how bad you're offensive line 
has been. I don't care how bad your defense has been or some of your offensive players. I don't care how bad your coach is. You're expected to be Aaron Rodgers. You're making Aaron Rodgers money. Go out there and make the play. Stop making excuses. I've heard a lot of players not like you in your locker room. Start making the players like you, and maybe that'll change their thoughts about who you are as a person. You want to be Aaron Rodgers? Get a guy that just coached Aaron Rodgers as an offensive coordinator, which a lot of those guys have failed other places. He's not Aaron Rodgers. And neither is Nathaniel Hackett being well to coach other places. Cardinals and Raiders. What a comeback Arizona and two amazing play extensions from Kyler Murray at the end of that game, one of which lasted over 20 seconds to get that touchdown and another one to draw a penalty too before the touchdown that eventually tied the game and on the two-point conversion. Just all insanity. That's all Kyler Murray. Not coaching. No Cliff Kingsbury. You don't get credit for that either. No Cliff Kingsbury. You don't get credit for not being able to use your receivers properly. Kyler Murray is really doing it all himself. The tight ends have been great. Greg Dorch has been a nice surprise as a rookie. The running game has not been the same as last year. This is all Kyler Murray this comeback. What a master class in the fourth Josh quarter. McDaniels, an absolute joke. 0-2. How long is he going to be the head coach of this team? You have all these players. You've spent all the money in the offseason. You bring in Adams to a high-flying offense. Where the hell is Renfro? The Cardinals and Kyler Murray, I expect Kyler Murray to be the face of that organization. He made a lot of money in the offseason, and he made some plays, and at the end of the game, he pretty much talked to himself as a third-person player. I gotta step up, and I gotta make the plays, and that's what I believe I can do. So, I don't know what the players think about that, but he made some fantastic plays and deserves all the credit, especially for a team that just didn't look good in the first half. Bears and Packers. Packers blow out the Bears. This was more of the running game, though. Aaron Jones had a fantastic game. A.J. Dillon was efficient. He didn't get a lot of carries. And the defense, like they were last year, when they had that great front seven and could actually rush the passer. They still have trouble stopping the run. David Montgomery had a nice game for the Bears, but that was really it. The Packers did all the rest. Uh, Justin Fields needs to learn how to keep his mouth shut at the end of the game. The only thing I've learned is the Packers have the Bears number. It's Aaron Rodgers 10 and the Bears nothing. Aaron Rodgers last year called the Bears his kids. He's the daddy. Just like we've seen Pedro Martinez say that about the Yankees. I think it's the same thing with the Packers and the Bears. Aaron Rodgers is the Bears' daddy. Titans and Bills. Well, the Bills, yeah, they're blowing out another opponents. I mean, there's really no significant flaw in their game right now. Josh Allen's clicking at all cylinders, the offensive line, the defense, everything's just going right for the Bills right now. And they did it in a long week where I actually thought they would come in rusty a little bit. They just have that big win against the Rams. And yeah, there's really no flaws. The Bills have outscored opponents 70 to 17 so far. It's insane. The Bills are just that much better than the Titans. The Titans are not good. I still think Derrick Henry is going to break out this year. He's too good not to. But this team has no wide receivers, and this defense is so overrated. I, I don't know what this team is. I expect this team to go 0-3, maybe 0-4 before they win a game. They'll win the division at 7-10. and Tannehill <laughs> will lose his position. Malik will be in the game one way or another in the next three weeks. I think Tannehill's done in Tennessee. Vikings and Eagles. A defensive masterclass, I think, by the Eagles. Did a great job of taking away the middle of the field. You were talking about Darius Slay earlier. Did a fantastic job against Justin Jefferson. The other corners did a good job taking out the other receivers, too. Thielen didn't do much too late in the game. KJ Osborne's a good slot guy so really a just great defensive masterclass and Jalen Hurts he looks like a complete dual threat quarterback now has been one of the more efficient guys now in the league this year which was a big issue for him last year I think the Eagles are the best team in the NFC the best secondary in the NFC I think what everything that we see in the Eagles they're good in their special teams they're good in their defense they're good in their offense not surprised that the Eagles knocked off the Vikings I was surprised they shut down Jefferson the way they did it was a fantastic week in football and a lot of upsets and a lot of crazy comebacks all right 
right. Three for all picks of the week. Score boys. update. Thank you to Jameis Winston. Errol is up three to one now. Let's do Eagles and Commanders. Over under right, 47.5. I'm going to take the Eagles here. I think this is actually a really good matchup for this type of offense. Washington's a base 4-3, more zone type defense. I think this is a good matchup for Jalen Hurts and the motion offense that Nick Sirianni likes to bring with his running backs and his tight ends. I think you get a big game from Dallas Goddard. Kenneth Gainwell, Miles Sanders, they collectively all have a nice game. I think Jalen Hurts is one of the best quarterback performances of the week. I'm going to take Philly on the over. I believe in Jalen Hurts. In the beginning of the season, I didn't think he was any good, and he's a better Michael Vick, more accurate. I love everything I've seen about Jalen Hurts. This defense is for real. This offensive line's the best in football. There's nothing bad to say about this team. Offensively, A.J. Brown doesn't even have to play hard. He's getting 70 yards, and they have a good running game. I just don't think that the commanders can keep up with a three-headed monster when it comes to defense, offense, and special teams. I, I think the Eagles are going to just breeze in the NFC East. Give me the Eagles on the over. Second game is the LA Rams at the Arizona Cardinals. Over under for this game is 48 and a half. I'm going to take the Rams here. I think this is actually going to be a blowout. Kyler Murray, I think, does play well himself, but I don't really trust a lot of these other skilled players. They really haven't used the tight ends well. I, Cliff Kingsbury has not done a good job using his other weapon amidst these injuries. Rondell Moore hurt, obviously, Hopkins suspended. So, and the Rams passing attack really got it going last week. I think they do it again. The Cardinals secondary has not been great. I'll give them credit for shutting down Devontae Adams, and they might try that again with Cup, but I think Sean McVay is too smart. So I'm going to take the Rams on the over. The Injuries is what hurts Arizona in this game. The Rams, they're going to start picking up the pace. I think they're a good team. I expect to see Allen Robinson play a little bit better. I think this defense will get better as Wagner fills in and understands this defense a little bit more. I think they're too good defensively not to dominate the line of scrimmage. So I picked the Rams on the over in this game. I think it'll be a high-flying offensive game. I think both defenses are just not going to play well in this game. All right, last one. Sunday Night Football, Here San Francisco 49ers at the Denver Broncos. Over under is 43 and a half. Another one I think that will be a blowout. I don't trust Nathaniel Hackett at all. It looks like Ben McAdoo 2.0 does not know how to have discipline and prepare for this team. Russell Wilson will have his flashy plays here and there, but San Francisco secondary. This is the best secondary they've had in a long time. I think that'll be able to take away one receiver and their offense, I think, does well in this game. The Broncos defense, especially against the run, has had a lot of issues too. So I'm going to take the Niners. I think this one's on the under. I think the Niners win this game. This game is going to be on the over. I think the Broncos will put up points. I think the 49ers will put up points. I think this will be a high-flying game. Whichever defense shuts down the other offense at the end of the game, that will transition the game. I think both coaches are just so skeptical, crazy when it comes to their play calling. I want to be different. I'm going to take the 49ers on the over. When we come back, we will be talking to Fox Sports NFC East reporter Ralph Vacchiano. We'll be back after this. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Big Daddy Errol Marks. Yeah, you can call me Daddy. And Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9. The Ally News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, Android, World Wide Sports Radio Network. Reaching out to one of the better reporters in the NFL, and we have one of them on. We are now talking to Fox Sports NFC East reporter, Ralph Vacchiano. Ralphie, what's up, bud? Nothing much, guys. How you doing? We're good, man. We're 
sweating. Here in Long Island, it doesn't make any sense. The weather, happy fall, and it was humid this morning. It was about 80% humid. It was disgusting, gloomy over here. And then all of a sudden, we had a lot of rain, and now it's 58 degrees. New York weather is horrible. I can't stand it. So it just goes back and forth. But how are you doing? How are you and your family with the whole COVID-19? We're doing good, thanks. We appreciate that. We got through it okay, and looking forward to getting back to a little more normalcy. Absolutely. So why don't we get into some football, because that's why we have you on. The New York Giants are 2-0 right now. Dable has really shown everybody what he can do as a head coach, change this offense. I don't know if Daniel Jones is the future. Saquon Barkley could be gone by the end of the season. There's a lot of craziness. Kenny Galladay complaining that he played two snaps. Where is this Giants team in, as far as what you've seen in the first two games of the season? They're 2-0, and which is good no matter how you look at it because they haven't been winning in many, many years. So everything else I'm going to say is not going to be good, but take the 2-0 and and be happy about it because Giants fans deserve it at this point. But if you peel back the curtain a little bit, they're incredibly lucky. They beat a Tennessee Titans team that's probably not as good as we thought. They needed a muffed punt and a missed field goal to do it. They beat a Panthers team that's not very good. They needed a 56-yard field goal to do it. They are not generating a whole lot of offense. Daniel Jones doesn't have a lot of receivers to throw to. They don't have much of a pass. There's a lot of holes in this team, but they're well coached. They're playing hard. In this sport, you take the breaks as they come. They Over the last 10 years, I could probably count on my hands how many breaks they've gotten in games so if they've gotten two to get to two and zero, oh, just take it and be happy. So what about on the defensive side? The Giants have had a lot of injuries so far, especially with their edge rushers now also losing Leonard Williams as well. They had Dean Belton out, their rookie safety for a while too. But a lot of the backups have stepped up. What have you seen so far from that defense and Wink Martindale? They're aggressive, which is good. They haven't been aggressive in years past. I thought they were a decent defense two years ago under Patrick Graham. They took a step back last year. They blitz from all sorts of angles, which is kind of what you need to do when you're undermanned. And I think they are undermanned a little bit. I don't think they have good linebackers until Kevin Thibodeau and Aziz Ojolari are back. I think they're... Defensive line is okay, but doesn't get a lot of pressure even when Leonard Williams is in there. The secondary, Jory Jackson is playing great so far, but he's really the island out there at cornerback. Julian Love, Xavier McKinney could be very good safeties. So there are pieces there, but as a whole, it's not a dominant defense unless you scheme it. And that's what Wake Martindale has done. They really went after Baker Mayfield. Now that worked with Baker Mayfield. Let's see what happens with a Josh Allen or Patrick Mahomes, but at least for the average to below average quarterbacks, you, you can win a lot of games if you really I love that pressure. We are talking to Fox Sports NFC East reporter Ralph Facciano. You look at this division and there's so many what ifs. There's nothing that really stands out except the Eagles. The Eagles are the high profile team in this division. They proved on Monday Night Football they can knock off a very good team like the Vikings. They shut down Jefferson. What are your thoughts of what you've seen with this Eagles team? Jalen Hurts looks like he could be the quarterback of the future of this organization and that's what they wanted to see. Where do you see this team right now? in the NFC East. They're for real. I think they're the team to beat heading into this season. I picked them as a sleeper Super Bowl contender. If everything worked out right in the first two games, it certainly looks like that's the case. They've got a tremendous secondary. I mean, I don't know that there are three better cornerbacks in the league than Darius Slay, James Bradbury, and uh, Chauncey Gardner-Johnson. That's just a terrific threesome right there. They have pass rush that hasn't really started playing well lately, but there's potential there with N'Kobe Dean and Brandon Graham and uh, Hassan Reddick's guys who can really get after the quarterback and on offense 
Look, they were the number one rushing team in football last year, and Jalen Hurts really looks like he's put things together. They have so many weapons now with A.J. Brown to pair with Devonta Smith and Dallas Goder to tight end. Their offensive line is as good an offensive line as there is in football. I don't know where the weakness is. Maybe at linebacker, but that's something you can cover a little bit. I just think that that team is so deep and so good. I think if they were in the AFC, they could be competitive, but in the NFC, where all the weaker teams are, they have a chance to be a Super Bowl team. I think they're going to be hard to not vote. So being they're kind of a running team first, it's not the wave of the game. This is considered a quote-unquote passing league. What chances do you give of them trying to be that differentiation, Super Bowl-type run, counterculture type, in comparison to these other NFC powerhouses? Well, I do think you have to run well in this league to succeed in the playoffs, unless you are a super passing team. The Bills ran well last year. The Chiefs had somewhat of a running game, especially late in the season. Even the Rams had developed a running game late in the season, but they all had elite passing games. And I don't know if the Eagles are quite there yet, but I think the potential is there because of the diversity. Having A.J. Brown as a true number one receiver to pair with Devonta Smith. Last year, Jalen Hurts was pretty good just throwing to Devonta Smith and all on the outside. Now the middle of the field's open with A.J. Brown. And he's got a good pass-catching tight end in Dallas Goddard. So the weapons are there in the passing game. He looks poised, Jalen Hurts. He looks like he's throwing in the right places, like he'll run smartly, not just in a panic. Obviously, that has to keep up and they have to prove that. They're going to have to pass to really succeed, I think. But when you start with that number one rushing game in the league, and now you're adding the passing game too, that's where I think they can become dangerous. I think the signs of the passing game developing are really there. Now, Jerry Jones is very well known with his smart remarks and stupid things that have come out, not only from his organization, for other organizations and what he said, and he's talked about other organizations. Now, Jerry Jones came out and said he would welcome a quarterback controversy between Cooper Rush and Dak Prescott. Now, if I was Dak Prescott right now, and I got a huge contract last year, I signed a big contract, I'm getting paid $42.5 million every single year, and I got hurt, I hurt my thumb, and I'm sitting out six to eight weeks, as my owner says, I'm coming back in four weeks, which likely it's not going to happen. If you were him and you thought your owner is speaking not highly of you, you're looking at a third-string quarterback, and let's be honest, Cooper Rush would be a third-string quarterback on any other NFL team. What would you say if you were Dak Prescott? I think he understands Jerry Jones. First of all, he got his money. He knows that they're paying him a ton of money. They're not going to bench him unless Cooper Rush becomes Kurt Warner. And in that case, Dak Prescott will go somewhere else and make a ton of money. So, you know, who cares? But I think he understands that Jerry Jones is two things. One, he's always selling something. He's looking for attention. And saying that got him a lot of attention. And the other thing is, on a more practical basis, I think the general message was he wants Cooper Rush to play really, really well, because if that happens, it's good for the Cowboys and it keeps them afloat. And what better situation would there be for the Cowboys than Cooper Rush playing great for a month until Dak Prescott is ready? And then you have to talk about it then. Okay, but at least then it's better than him stinking and going 0-4 or 0-5 and the Cowboys being out of the playoffs. So Cooper Rush succeeding is good for everybody. Don't be fooled. Unless anything could happen, he could be Kurt Warren or he could be what Tony Romo was once. Maybe he lights it up and then you've got a question mark at the end. But their intention is to give this back to Dak Prescott. They would just rather give it back to him in good shape, not bad shape. That's what Jerry Jones mentioned after that. Too. Oh, it's going to be Tony Romo, Dak Prescott. Jerry needs all a, over again. Jerry needs a haircut. Just make sure you don't go to Mark Davis's barber. <laughs> <laughs> and then you'll probably be good. Oh my God, that's a terrible haircut. What about the Dallas running game and their defense too? Kind of a different identity now with the passing game 
game not being the same. Not only Dak getting hurt, but also losing wide receivers. That was a big deal for them last year. Can you see them kind of transforming back to that 2016 identity when it was Zeke? I know he struggled so far, but where he's the main workhorse in this defense playing as well as it has so far. Yeah, I guess. I mean, they've got questions on that offensive line. I think when Ezekiel Elliott powered them, it was really the offensive line that was powering them. And it's just not the same line anymore. So I don't know. Ezekiel's getting up there in years. Running backs get old quickly. Not having the same line in front of him, knowing that Cooper Rush probably isn't going to beat you. Teams can load up and try to stop Zeke. So I don't know that he can necessarily carry them right now. I think they need Cooper Rush and CeeDee Lamb to do something there. It might be a case now where the defense and Micah Parsons and the rest of the crew there have to carry the Cowboys over these next few games. I, I think the same is kind of true with the Giants. I mean, there's always a chance that Saquon Barkley pops off. The same is always a chance that Ezekiel Elliott pops off. But going into this Monday night game, to me, it's which defense plays better. It's going to be 17-14 which defense holds off the other team in the fourth quarter. And that's really the way these teams right now have to win games. They're not the Bills and the Chiefs and the Rams and all the other offensive firepower teams. Both of them are teams that have to grind it out. The Cowboys are at least until Prescott comes back and then maybe they can click that offense into gear. We are talking to Fox Sports NFC East reporter Ralph Vacchiano. Ralph, the Commanders had a lot of things happening in the offseason. The Schneider situation, ownership, and the stories coming out, and they're getting sued, the NFL's getting sued, all the craziness. But this team, on paper, is a pretty good team. They gave McLaurin a pretty good contract, as well as he deserves if he could stay on the field. They brought in Carlson Wentz. They have a pretty good defense in the second half. They were a defense that really stood out from all the rest. Where is this team? We talk about the Eagles, the Giants, the Cowboys. Where does this team line up from all the other teams? To me, they're the second tier in the NFC, probably the NFC East as well. They are loaded on offense for all the knocks that Carson Wentz gets. He's a good quarterback. And if you look at the teams in the league, there's 32 teams, but there's probably only 24, 25 guys who are really good NFL quarterbacks. And Carson Wentz is one of them. He had a couple of bad years, but for the most part, most of his seasons are 3,500 yards, 27 touchdowns, seven interceptions. He can play and he's got a strong arm and he's smart. So that right away transforms their offense. They've got Terry McLaurin. They've got Curtis Samuel. They've got Jahan Dotson, three good receivers, Logan Thomas at tight end, two good running backs. That's more than a lot of teams. So they can move the ball. They can score. I don't know how well they can stop teams. The first two weeks, the defense has not looked mm-hmm. great. Without Chase Young, I worry a little bit about that pass rush. So to put them on the top tier to say that they can compete with the Eagles to the NFC East title, I need to see a little more about the defense. But put them in a shootout with anybody, I'm not ruling out Carson Wentz and that uh, offensive weapons. They, they've got some talent. There. I'm looking back and Frank Wright over there in Indianapolis. I don't think he's very happy right now with Matt Ryan. I think he'd be in a better position if he had Carlson Wentz. So big yeah. mistake by Indianapolis. They wouldn't opinion. have gotten shut out by the Jaguars. They would have only lost 24 <laughs> to 10. <laughs> You're probably right. So my question is actually about the coaching for the commanders. A lot of analysts we've heard say that Ron Rivera has been on the hot seat at certain points after the way the defense has fallen off last year from where they were the year before. And even some of the assistant coaches have kind of been thought of as outdated. Have you seen that kind of thing so far or have you seen more, I guess, modern concepts with that team? First of all, I don't think Ron Rivera's on a hot seat there. I think they respect him and they like him. The defense fell off 
losing Chase Young is big. Not having him on that defense. You have that one pass rushing stud. Take him away. That certainly changes things. He wasn't having a good year before he got hurt. So that's certainly an issue. I think before Ron Rivera gets on the hot seat, his defensive coordinator, Jack Del Rio, will be on the hot seat. I think they're generally a well-coached team. They're just not getting the most out of their defensive players. So they're going to have to change something. Take Chase Young out of that team. That is a big, big change. They've had some other injuries up front. I think I read something today where they had started the season with nine guys on the defensive line and something like six of them have been dealing with injuries the first two games. So their safety, Cam Curl, was out the first couple of games, which hurt their secondary as well. So they've had some issues to overcome, but I don't think Ron Rivera is in any kind of trouble. I think that the players believe in him. Ownership, obviously, don't know the Snyders very well, but I believe from everything I've heard there, they believe in Ron Rivera and they understand that his first couple of years, they didn't really have the quarterback to win a lot. And they did squeeze out an NFC East title. Granted, they were only seven and nine that first year, but that does buy him a little bit of time and a little bit of patience, I think, from the people above him. Ralph, you look at the NFC right now, and everybody keeps talking about how strong the AFC is and how weak the NFC is. The Vikings, before they got smashed up by the Eagles on Monday, a lot of people thought the Vikings were the best team in the NFC. They didn't show up to a game or something happened. Maybe they didn't eat their Wheaties or something. And then the Buccaneers, Tom Brady looks very old. I don't know what's going on mentally. That whole fight that broke out, and everybody's blaming Lattimore, but I think it was Mike Evans and Tom Brady that started that whole thing, but... That's just my opinion. Even though they're 2-0, they don't really scare me. The Saints don't scare me. We know what the Panthers and the Falcons are. The NFC is fairly weak. The only team that really stands out to me right now, besides the Rams, is the 49ers. And the reason why I think the 49ers stand out is Jimmy G is now behind the helm. It is not a rookie quarterback. I really feel sad for Trey Lance. You don't want to see something like that happen to a quarterback out for a significant amount of time. But it's a great story because Jimmy G decided to stay with the 49ers. He took the $7 million with the incentives and now has a chance to go on a run with this 49ers team, a very talented 49ers team. What are your thoughts with Trey Lance, if Trey Lance was behind the helm, or now Jimmy G? Is it a huge difference to have a veteran quarterback of that magnitude? I think it is. I think anytime you go with a young quarterback in his first year, you're starting over. There are growing pains. Maybe there's a handful of NFL quarterbacks over the years who haven't experienced them, but most of them will struggle a little bit the first time they're starting, and you can't expect them to lead you to a Super Bowl, lead you to a championship, sometimes not even lead you on a playoff run. Jimmy G's done it before. Seen more. He'll see defense Trey Lance will see a defense for the first time. Jimmy G's probably seen it seven times already, 10 times already. So that certainly helps. I've always thought he was better than people gave him credit for. And I don't really know what the rush was in San Francisco to move on from him. I, I think he's a good quarterback. I think a lot of teams in the crazy offseason when they were swapping quarterbacks everywhere should have been more interested if the price was right. So I think this could work out for San Francisco. I think they're a good team. Every team in the NFC, every team you think of as a contender has flaws. I would bet against Aaron Rodgers or Tom Brady, but obviously their teams both have issues. The Rams have issues as well. The Eagles right now, they look terrific. I don't know what their issue necessarily would be, but they weren't expected to be a Super Bowl contender. So they're kind of the upstarts in this. You can make a case for probably seven or eight teams to emerge out of the conference. And with Jimmy G, the 49ers would have to be in that mix. Let's say, assuming the Eagles win the division, because they've been looking really good so far. What about for a second wildcard team in the NFC East? Who would be some other sleeper teams to watch out for? for other divisions in the NFC to get those. Could you see a team like Arizona, a team like the Saints maybe contending for those types of spots? 
to fend off the Giants. Or I, think the you could, I think you could probably pick another 10 teams and put them in that mix right now because they all have issues. And the Cardinals, I would have said, okay, absolutely, they're good enough. They are certainly talented enough. I think their floor is probably 500. I can't mm-hmm. imagine being less than that. And if you're around 500, you're in the wild card race. That's the same as where Washington is going to be. I think with New Orleans defense, it's probably right where they will be as well. I think Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers, they could win the division with him, certainly. If not, them and the Vikings are certainly talented enough to compete for the wild card. And then you get a team that's going to be lucky. Look, the Giants are 2-0. and I don't think they're for real. But you look at their schedule, it's not that tough. And they're playing decent football and Saquon Barkley goes off a little bit and they can develop just a little bit of momentum. Could they get to eight or nine wins and be in the wild card chase? Certainly, especially maybe the Cowboys. They get their 3-0. They get the Bears next. You rack up three or four early wins, you will be in the wild card race. So I think this whole conference is really just incredibly wide open because there are so many flawed teams and it's not like the AFC where maybe the six or seven best teams in football are in the AFC right now. We are talking to Fox Sports NFC East reporter Ralph Facchiano. Is there any surprises so far that you have seen the last two weeks? And being that there has been a couple of surprises and crazy wins by quite a few different teams, where do you see the NFL as the season moves forward? Do you still think the AFC is that dominant? Everybody thinks Buffalo is the dominant force right now, the best team in the NFL. Do you think that could change as the season prolongs? Well, I certainly think it could change. Injuries change everything in the NFL. It's very often who's healthiest later in the season more than anything. We're early. We're just learning about these teams. The first two weeks historically tell you absolutely nothing about what's going on in the NFL. So we're really just getting into the serious parts of this. I think probably the thing that jumped out at me is the biggest surprise so far. Colts stinking is probably a big one for me. I don't think Matt Ryan is great, but I think they thought he was a better fit for their passing offense. I thought with Jonathan Taylor, they would be able to put up a lot more points than they did. The Giants 2-0 and has to be a surprise. I don't know that I figured that. Looking at the two games, I think they're incredibly lucky in what they did. They beat at least one of those teams. I thought the Titans, another surprise. I thought they would be pretty good. It's impressive, even if it is with a little bit of smoke and mirrors. So I think the Bills are probably the dominant team in the NFL. I picked the Chargers to get to the Super Bowl. I think I picked them against the Buccaneers. I could see the Bills, the Bucks, the Chargers, the Chiefs. I think all of them could come out of the AFC. Somebody gets hot late if the Bills have an injury or two, yeah, things can change. But right now, certainly, you look at the Buffalo Bills, it's hard not to look at them and think they're the Super Bowl champions. They're playing that well, but there's really a long way to go, so who knows? And also keep in mind, the last two Super Bowl champions, what was a four seed, what was a five seed? So it doesn't always right, have exactly. to show it in the regular season. You covered the Giants as well before you started working for Fox Sports Wrestling. Why? Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley at the end of the season with this current front office, do they stay Giants after this season? I don't think Daniel Jones will. I think that unless he really lights it up. And if he does, and he looks like a franchise quarterback, they'll give him the franchise tag. But I think that they're itching to move on and bring in their own guy. I think they've seen too many flaws in Daniel Jones. And I think it's kind of natural. It's like the Jets with Sam Darnold. There was a good case to keep him and give him another year, but it was a new regime. They wanted their own people in place. I think this new regime wants their own quarterback. I think Saquon Barkley's a more difficult guy there. I don't believe this regime values running backs in terms of giving them big contracts, but I think they look at Saquon Barkley if he's healthy. I think they think he can have a real impact and could really be a help for a new young quarterback. So I guess if I was guessing, I would say that they would let Daniel Jones go, draft someone to replace him, and give Saquon Barkley the franchise tag and keep him at least one more year. Ralph, we really appreciate your time, as always. You're very well respected throughout the country from all the different people we talk to, and we really appreciate your time, man. 
Well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. And we'll hopefully get you on very, very soon. And we'll go into the playoffs and talk a little bit about where you see the playoffs landing with the AFC and the NFC. But we really appreciate you, man. Sounds good. Thanks, guys. Take care. Ralph Vacchiano, ladies and gentlemen. Speedy, he was fantastic. We gave him some good questions in the NFC East. He gave us straight answers. It's very interesting. Everybody and their mother think the Eagles are going to win the division. Some of his thoughts on the NFC East. Yeah, he's higher on the commanders than a lot of people are this year, too. Yes, he is. Mm-hmm. Carson Wentz, second in the league of passing yards. I like Carson Wentz. Indianapolis is going to regret not bringing back Carson Wentz. Frank Wright was wrong. Drafted this guy. You make the trade. You do everything you can to bring this guy in. And then after the first year, having a pretty good year, 27-7, and seven, they decided to part ways with Carson Wentz and bring old man Matt Ryan in. Thought that that was going to work. It has not worked. And the Colts need to figure things out. And really quick. The only thing that works out for the Colts right now is that division is horrible. Whoever horrible. wins that division is going to win at a 7 Could you imagine the rate? Jaguars win that division? I'm still going to take the Titans. I still have Indianapolis okay. winning. They have to pull that off. They're too good not to pull that off all around. But Frank Wright, how do you choke the way you have? When we come back, we'll get into some MLB conversation as our man, Aaron Judge, on his way to the Triple Crown. Is this the greatest season ever for an offensive player. When we come back, I'll get into why it might be here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember to listen to the show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9. The LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android Worldwide Sports Radio Network. Aaron Judge is having one of those seasons. I have never seen a season of this magnitude. For a guy that is in a contract year, for a Yankee organization that offered him a seven-year, $213 million contract before the season, and then decided to play with him with his arbitration before the season started. This man is having one of those years that we will never forget. If you're a Yankee fan, if you're a sports fan, or a baseball fan, we might never see a season of this magnitude again. This man has a chance to win the batting title, break the home run record, the real home run record by Roger Maris without doing steroids. I'm for steroids when it comes to sports, besides combat sports. If steroids should be allowed in any sport besides boxing and mixed martial arts because you can kill somebody. Nevertheless, it was illegal, so you can't count Barry Bonds' home run record or Mark McGuire's or Sammy Sosa's. This is the guy that's done it legitimately. But having a chance to have a triple crown, maybe going to a World Series and winning a World Series championship, he leads the league offensively in 10 different categories. It could be the greatest offensive season we have ever seen, and I believe it is. Now, we had Josh Towers on the Sports Lab Mounts, a friend of the show, uh, ex-baseball player, knows the game very, very well, relief pitcher, played eight years in the major leagues. He says Barry Bonds had the greatest season. Barry Bonds was also doing steroids illegally. What we have seen Aaron Judge do consistently all season long, he leads the league by 20 or more home runs. The next guy is... Schwarber, who is 20 home runs under him. He is having a season we'll probably never see again. He has been fantastic this year. He is the MVP. I know a lot of people think Shea Otani. Shea Otani is not making the playoffs. It's impressive. There's nothing bad to say about this guy. This guy doesn't he doesn't even talk about the record. Not selfish. And that's what you want to see. Derek Jeter wasn't selfish. I'm not a big Derek Jeter fan. He's a leader. 
and you lead by example. And that's what Aaron Judge does. And if the Yankees do bring Aaron Judge back, they absolutely should announce after they sign him that he is the new captain of this team. He is the face of baseball right now. This could be the first time the best player in baseball leaves the New York Yankees and goes to another team. Robertson Cano was a great player when he went to Seattle. He wasn't one of the top five players in the league. Not overall player. He might have been the best second baseman at the time. Wasn't a top five player. No, not overall. And uh, this guy is a top three player in the league and the best player in baseball yeah. right now. He is by far the best player in baseball right now. Yeah. It's not even close. One of the more complete seasons you'll ever see because you also have to factor in defense and 16 stolen bases as well. And again, you could argue with the era Judge Barry Bonds, who has the best offensive power season of all time. I've always said that like steroids usually add probably 10 to 15 home runs a season. Factor in Barry Bonds' 73 home run season. That drops him down down to maybe 63 at that point, which Aaron Judge could still catch at if this point. If Aaron Judge was on steroids, he's, he'll have well, 75 yeah, home course, runs. Obviously, but 63 is still attainable. And also in today's game, it's a lot harder to do that kind of thing. We don't even see a lot of 50 home runs. Also has 128 RBIs at least the league, 11 more than the second highest, which is Jose Ramirez. Batting average will be the one to watch for the triple crown because he's right now only one one hundredth ahead of Xander Bogart. Three one hundredths. Who didn't play last night? And three one hundredths, Luis Arias of the Twins too, who they are facing a lot of easy pitching staffs coming up too. So we'll have to see if Aaron Judge can hold that because you got to keep in mind too he's, he's going to be swinging for that home run record too that could cause him to strike out maybe a lot. he does what Jose Reyes did that's all another story I uh, love throwing the Mets under the which bus. record are you going to go for because he's going for two of them at once at the same time but this home run record in this era of baseball is very impressive as far as the Yankees are concerned they're winning games when they're falling behind or they give up leads what's to me, alarming is their bullpen. I like what I see with Holmes coming in and playing two innings and showing that he can shut down left-handed, something that he has had problems with since the second half. So that is a good sign. The bad signs are this bullpen is still, we don't know where it is. And this rotation, Garrett Cole, and this is a guy that's making $38 million a year. It's alarming when this guy doesn't win a big game. He can't beat the Red Sox. He's had problems with the Red Sox. This is a Red Sox team that's 15 games behind you. They're not any good. And you're letting this Red Sox team in against you. I don't know who their number one guy is. Of course, they're going to bet on Garrett Cole, but they bet on him the year before and the year before, and he has failed. I'm scared as a Yankee fan to trust Garrett Cole is going to pitch a big game against some of these better teams and better rotations. They're getting timely hitting. That's great. They're playing great defense. The Yankees are one of the top three defensive teams in baseball. You're going to need that going into the playoffs, especially against the Houston Astros. Even with the power that they have, they like to play small ball. Steal bases, score runs, hit and run. So the Yankees are going to have to play that game if they expect to knock off the Houston Astros. Yeah, definitely some question marks with that rotation and the bullpen coming into the postseason. Now you're looking at what role they're going to serve in the bullpen. Pen. Yes, they're getting Zach Britton, Geraldus Chapman, too. He's coming back from an injury. A lot of new pieces to have to shuffle around. Now Wandy Peralta's hurt, too, who's been the best lefty all year. And is he going to be ready for the postseason and come back the same? As far as the starters, yeah, there's really a lot of unknown, just either based on inexperience, which I've always said is not negative experience. Breakout players happen all the time in the postseason. That might benefit somebody like Cortez, uh, Montez, who hasn't pitched well for the Yankees yet, but again, not really a guy that's pitched a lot in the playoffs. They're going to need something like that if Garrett Cole continues to have these late-inning postseason blunders. 
And then there's the Mets, who are right now ahead of the Braves. If you're a Mets fan, you just hope they can hold on to that first place because if they go into the wild card game, it doesn't bode well for them. I think they need that week off where they can get healthy, really give Max Scherzer and, and, and Jacob DeGrom some time to get their feet settled. So they need to figure out this lineup. Their bullpen stinks, but we knew that going into the playoffs, they're going to depend on their starting pitching. They have pitched better the last couple of weeks, the bullpen. I don't believe in this bullpen. I don't. And if you're a Met fan, you can't sell me and tell me that you believe that this bullpen is going to keep you into games if your rotation can't do it. So uh, that would be a no, especially against the Braves and the Cardinals. God, teams that like to be gritty teams. What I do like, they're getting timely hitting at the end of the game. The Grand Slam by Lindor. Escobar hit a Grand Slam the other day. Are they going to be able to do it in the playoffs, Speedy? That's where the Mets are going to have to sell to the fans because I don't know if they can. And they don't have these guys that really stand out. Oh, this guy's a good playoff player. That guy's a good player. Because half of these guys have never played in the playoffs. Yeah, again, like I was saying with the Yankees pitching staff, inexperience, we'll see. Is it negative experience? We don't know yet. Lindor has had some bad playoff series. I think most of them against the Yankees, too. But he's done well against other teams, so we'll see. Yeah, that carries over. We haven't seen much with the rest of them, though. Marte's played in a couple, but Pirates, so barely any. And again, you're looking at a case where a lot of these homegrown guys were not on that 2015 roster, too. There's not many of them because the Mets made a lot of trades. They got a lot of free agents. Right now, they're creating runs in different ways. They've had injuries to Marte, and McNeil got hurt recently earlier this week. They left him in the game in left field, then re-injured something, so he hasn't been playing the last couple days. But still, you're looking at a case where they've still created runs at the top and at the bottom too. Eduardo Escobar's had his best stretch of the season so far in the month of September, which is a good sign. Mark Canna hit well. Pitching-wise, yes, they're going to be very old school, relying on the starters to go deep and starters out of the bullpen, too, like you've seen teams like the Astros do in the past. The Cubs did it in their World Series one with Joe Madden, and they made it work. So Buck will have to evolve kind of into that mold because, yes, the bullpen's been inconsistent. Seth Lugo's been a little better in the second half of the season. Trevor May has been a little better since he's come back, too, but still, you're right, not trustworthy guys on a consistent basis. Congratulations to the great Albert Pujols. A special, special feat by a guy that I think is the greatest right-handed power hitter we've ever seen. A guy that did it clean, stayed healthy at the end of his career. Who would have thought that Uh, for a guy that really fought injury when he was in the prime of his career? Really the face of baseball for many, many years. Uh, A guy that was quiet and did it on the field. Just special. 700 home runs. One of four players to ever do it. We talk about how great Miguel Cabrera is. This guy was even better. This is his last year. Did what he did in the home run derby. These youngsters don't realize how special this man has been. Where He has taken the game of baseball for right-handed hitters. He will go down as the greatest right-handed hitter of this era, of all time. We talk about how great Vladimir Guerrero was when he played. Ten years from now, when we talk about right-handed hitters and what you want to be like and what type of player you want to mimic, this guy won batting championships. This guy won MVPs. This guy was a power hitter. This guy hit for average. The only thing he couldn't do was steal bases. Right. I mean, he was a great defensive player, too. Yeah, and his prime, he was fantastic. Uh, I mean, this guy is going to go down, is one of the greatest players to ever play the game. Deserved. This guy's a first ballot Hall of Famer. Mm-hmm. If there's a player that can win 100 votes, like Mariano Rivera, I think he can. Yeah. He's very loved, beloved by the press, by the players. Did it right. Every kind of way. And he was never caught doing anything cheating, doing anything off the field. He's a good family man. Very special player. Proud to watch this guy develop as a player, as a youngster, all the way into the retirement of his career. Congratulations 
to one of the greatest players of this era, oh, Albert yeah. Pauls. Easily one of the best hitters of all time. Best hitter in this era, I think. When you talk about batting average, you talk about obviously now having 700 home runs and a guy that really was consistent in his older ages. I know he had injury issues and yeah, he had a couple bad seasons with the Angels, but that longevity is still impressive even to get to this point too. He, he did well with the Dodgers when they traded for him in that playoff run. He's done it with many different teams now, well-loved by all these players, all these young players. They look up to him. He's an icon of the game, easily a first ballot Hall of Famer that none of these baseball writers should ever be disrespecting for just the pure love of the game and the just great all-around game and influence he had on so many of these players, so many of these Caribbean-born players too, that look up to a guy like Albert Pujols. 700 home runs is an incredible accomplishment, and gotta love to see him do it in the place where he played for over a decade in the St. Louis Cardinals. It's very impressive. Anybody to try to compare this type of player to any of the players that played in the league as long as they have. This guy has 21 home runs this year. He has 58 RBIs. This guy's 42 years old, and nobody would have thought that he was going to hit 20 home runs to break 700. He didn't even think that. And the fact that he did, that's amazing. Look at these numbers. When he was a rookie, his first year, 37 and 130, 34 and 127, 43 and 124, 46 and 123, 41 and 117, 49 and 137, 32 and 103, 37 and 116, 47 and 135, 42 and 118. Even in 2015, he had 40 and 95. If he stayed healthy the years that he wasn't, he would have hit consistently 35 and 100 and something this guy is the greatest right-handed hitter we've ever seen and that's not even the sell of it he did it with average too he's a career 296 hitter and this is a guy that his last couple of years he couldn't stay healthy and he didn't have the great numbers and this year he hit 265 this is a 42 year old player hitting 265 some of the best hitters on some of these teams are not batting 265 big average in high 230s really fantastic story one of the best players of this era when we come back we're going to get into some lining and dining with money line mania as worldwide west is back and making his fabulous picks if you're not listening to worldwide west boy oh boy you guys are missing out on some money Chaz will be back he's been taking care of some family issues but happy to have him back when we come back money line mania we are back, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks, with my co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, you can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time, only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network, brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android World Wide Sports Radio Network. We always bring these guys on, and we're happy to have them on as these guys are the best handicappers in the country. This segment is called Money Line Mania. <laughs> this is Money Line Mania. With Chaz and the crew. Chaz is back and we have the great and powerful worldwide west he is on he's been non-stop hitting on numbers and if you guys aren't listening you're not making any money Chaz, how you doing man if you don't believe we're good at what we do you just go back and watch the last eight years how long you been about eight years now bless for you from the beginning it's really cool you don't even have to be cocky about it just go listen and come back and then you can say well you're good oh, i know i'm good <laughs> money line mania when you named it i didn't really appreciate it but i am now betting more money 
Moneyline Manias. We followed John from GMF Sports this summer, and we're talking a lot of baseball, and you're seeing minus 330s and minus 400s and minus 320s. It was crazy what the Yankees and the Astros and the Dodgers and the Braves at one point and the Mets were going off at. So when you see the ability to get a minus 170 on a football game, and all of a sudden you don't have to worry about the backdoor cover, it was the Chiefs Charger game. It was a fine example. I'm in the Doubletree in Fort Lee. Pretty close to where this audience is. In Fort Lee, New Jersey, watching a game that it doesn't matter, I ain't losing. If you're getting four and a half, you're nervous. If you're giving four and a half, you're nervous. I had the money line media play. I was winning no matter what. So thank you for establishing that betting money lines is not necessarily a bad thing. Chaz, you do well in close games, unlike the Chargers. There you go. 33% gain on a football game. You know, that's not a bad thing. If you were to take that 33%, go on the reverse. Everybody look at your 401k. How's the 33% feel when you lose it? So it ain't so bad when you're on the winning side of it. And it really is. It's a relative thing. We talk about it with the horses all the time. People complain they paid 420. First of all, 420 is a great number, but I believe in wake and bake. the other aspect of it is you lay $2 to get 420 If you're betting minus 135 you're not getting 420 for two. I throw some horse racing in there. I love horse racing. And talking to Wes, probably bets 10 times more horse races than I do. But there's something about horse racing that is just really cool. It really does affect how you look at odds in other sports. Right, Wes? It does. Horse races, there's lottery tickets all over the place. But if you bet enough horses, you're perfectly okay with taking even money. I don't know how I decided to call this segment Moneyline Mania, but... It just came out of your mouth, because up to that point, that was not a fair assessment <laughs> of what Wes and I talk about. We have morphed into what you wanted us to be. Yeah. Good job, Errol. Well, thank you. I, I don't that. just morph for anybody, Errol. I love the compliments. We have you back. The bottom line, if your audience has listened to us since we yes. started, they're up decent money. If their kahunis grew when Wes went on his little run, they really are up money. I might have to start betting, and I might have to reach out to Wes privately and start making some bets because I need to make some of that money too. Hit him up at 151 Sports Investing. There you go. We are going to start. Wes is going to make his picks. Chaz has a couple of picks. Here we go. I'm going out to the Washington Stanford game. I am not picking on Washington. I'm actually picking on Michigan State. The only reason we are getting a 13 and a half point spread here two weeks ago, this game would have been a much lower spread. This game probably would have been in the six range. But what Washington just did to Michigan State is what's elevating this spread. So we are jumping on opportunity. I like to look at the line movement. 66% of the tickets are on Washington and the point spread is 13 and a half and it hasn't moved. That means the house is totally comfortable being exposed on the other side of the ball. So I love Stanford in this spot. Stanford isn't losing to anybody by more than 13 and a half. There is no way Washington is going to hold Stanford to 40 rushing yards the way that they did Michigan State. They caught Michigan State after two very local games and then some abusive long distance travel. I think that Michigan State was a false number 11, and that's why Washington was able to do what they did. I like the way that Stanford's O-line matches up against Washington's D-line. Their entire roster worth of offensive linemen only has three players under 300 pounds, and two of them are 298 and 290. Stanford is going to run the ball for more than 40 yards. They're going to keep Michael Phoenix Jr. on the sidelines. I believe that Stanford has a legitimate shot of winning the game outright. 
forget the 13 and a half points. Take the 13 and a half points, relax. I think Stanford's gonna get an early lead and they're gonna make a real game of it. This Sunday is a difficult one and my members on the Discord page at Chicago Options Trader, they're not super happy with me because I threw a lot of games out there because what I'm trying to do, I'm basically cost averaging. We're trying to buy down the percentage impact of a loss and we're willing to negotiate some of that upside just because this is a difficult week. The game that I really like the most, I gave the Jets a good hard look. I like the way that the Jets have played. I think that the Cincinnati O-line, what the doctor ordered to get a little bit more sacks on the board, that game is worth a good hard look. It's down to six. I like the hook there, so I'm staying away from it. But if it goes up to six and a half or even seven, I'm probably going to be a buyer at that point. The game that I'm making a call on right here is Green Bay against Tampa. I love watching the line movement and the public versus the house and where the house is comfortable being exposed. 58% of the tickets are on Tampa. The spread opened at minus three, and now the spread is, is minus one. I thought Green Bay was the better team all along. There's a lot of question marks on the offensive side of the ball for Tampa. Brady, there's something going on there, whether he's not committed, is committed. I vividly remember two seasons ago, a, a meeting between these two where Green Bay was embarrassed. Rodgers doesn't forget about things like that. It is basically now a pick em. It's one point, and it's at even money. I like Green Bay to go in there and just smoke Tampa. I had an under in this game. I know people hyped up the quarterback matchup, but I actually think it'll be a low-scoring game. Do you think that way, too? I don't. And the only reason I don't think it's under the 42, because in order for Green Bay to win, they will have broken Tampa's defense in some fashion. I think that Tampa's going to score points. I think that Green Bay is good for 28-plus in this game, and I don't think you're going to get Brady in any situation where he scores less than 14, 17. So I like a double-digit victory for Green Bay here. But if I'm correct about Green Bay winning and winning convincingly, that 42 falls. If Tampa wins, then I believe it goes up. I picked Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay. I think this is the game that's going to break out, figuring out his wide receivers. And as the season progressively moves forward, those wide receivers are going to get open, and he is going to make plays. He is the best quarterback in the NFL. Anybody that doubts it, just look the last two years. He's two-time MVP. Look at the wide receivers he's thrown to. Even last year, he had one wide receiver. The rest, you probably couldn't even name. And, and by the way, besides... Adams, not one of his wide receivers or tight ends were in the top 100 in the league last year. That tells you how good Aaron Rodgers really is. In fact, you go back 20 years, Green Bay. Favre did it too. There's a long list of non-Hall of Fame, non-perennial Pro Bowl wide receivers that Favre created and Rodgers has been doing the same thing. I live in Kansas City. I watch the Chiefs. MVS got a pretty decent sized contract from Aaron Rodgers throwing him the ball. He's three on the Chiefs roster. The Brett Favre situation. What are your thoughts to what he has done? Does he go to jail? I know he's one of the greatest quarterbacks ever played the game, but this is a sad story for Brett Favre and for somebody who's made a lot of money in the NFL doing this to children is despicable it was a classless move it was fraud it was embezzlement it was a lot of money a lot of good guys don't take money for doing what he was getting paid for and he didn't do it he took the check and didn't do it so yeah it's a double bad thing it's going to cause a lot more controversy relative to some of the controversy that already exists in today's world. And it's going to force punishment's hand in an unnatural way that it would have fallen 
in this particular scenario. I have seen different guys, big names, get away with something like this. And Craig Cart went to jail for two years. He really got away with it because of who he was as a broadcaster. And he's making a lot of money now. He's now out of jail. He's working for Fox. He has his own show in the morning. He's on WFAN, SNY. This guy is making more money than he did before he went to jail. It doesn't matter what you do if you're in front of everybody. You're the superstar. You're the face of that position. Unfortunately, I think Brett Favre is going to get away with this. It'll go to court. They'll punish him. But what is he going to get? Five months? The text messaging is what I just can't wrap my mind around. I personally don't like leaving voicemails. You can listen to it over and over and there's so much blank information. Russ is too good looking for present. Thank you for that. I have been told over the face for radio. There's a reason these guys don't show their faces on the show. <laughs> People can make money off of you. You're always going to get a second chance. Yeah. So I don't know who's going to be making money off of Brett Favre. Tarnished legacy is an understatement, I think, at this point. Brett Favre should just give NIL deals to all the Mississippi volleyball players. You can't tell me after a guy who did what he did comes out of jail and you give him the opportunities that he had. And I'm not taking shots at Craig Carton. I have a lot of respect for him as a broadcaster. He's achieved all his goals. Everything that you want to see a person do in radio, he has done. But what he did, it's really washed away and he got away with it. Nobody even talks about it anymore. He talks about it. He has his own show on Saturdays, which he talks about his betting problems and he's trying to help people. Only reason why he's doing that is because he's getting paid for it. There's no betting problem. There's a losing problem. Yep. Yeah. Craig Carter should have been what? listening to your what picks. A, when you're on Worldwide Sports Radio Network with us, the losing problem kind of goes away. So let's talk about yes. Wes's two plays. Mm-hmm. I got the Easy Sports date in front of me. He likes Stanford. If I'm betting this game and he likes Stanford, I'm going with the over too. Stanford's going to have to score some points to win this game. The over is 62. That's huge. Yeah. You got teams that give up 30 and 40. It's the Pac-12 for heaven's sake. They could literally have 47 points at halftime. And then the other game he likes the Packers. One thing on the Easy Sports Day, Tampa Bay at home, 6-1 and one against the spread, 9-2 and two in their last 11. However, none of those games were against Aaron Rodgers. And that's what's special about Aaron Rodgers. He can change your view with a blink of an eye just how talented he is with the football. I have five plays this week in the NFL. I almost hit a five-teamer today. If I can go 4-1 on these plays, I win a couple bucks, and you guys will win a couple bucks too. I got Kansas City, Buffalo, Detroit on the money line, I might add. Philadelphia and under in the Green Bay, Tampa Bay. I'm going to continue following the teams that have been scoring points so far this year at anything after two games. It's irrelevant. You could have 38-point averages for teams like Baltimore, and you could have Tampa Bay's averaging given six. Look at the number one team is Jacksonville for defense. Look who they played. If the four of us lined up against the Colts, and we got seven guys that we found, that we probably have a shot at keeping them under 14 points. They're just not that very good of a team. You got to go very, very light. But I'm going to hop on Kansas City, Buffalo, and Detroit on their team totals. I like team totals. I like them for one reason and one reason only. You can't come back and lose. You could be up by 28. Look at Baltimore. I had Miami and Arizona on a money line parlay. I told the guys, because I was so busy, I didn't really reach out. After the fact, I never like to brag after the fact. What good is it to tell you I won? I should have told you who I was betting. I would have threw away that ticket with Miami on it if I was in a casino with Wes. I would have tossed it right in the trash. I would be going digging in that trash. So I hit the parlay, but with a team total, you can't lose. Once you win it, you win it. There's no backdoor cover on a team total. And then I'm doing a lot of money lines. Four teamer. I'm going Buffalo in the over and Philly in the over. But I'm doing money line because when you use a big favorite, you could make the betting 
200 to win $90 go away by adding a team or two. So with this four team, I'm basically saying I think Buffalo's going to win, Philly's going to win, they're going to score some points. I won't get the 12 to 1, but I'll probably get, what, 7 to 1 on that, West? Plus 660. I'll take that all day long. 2 and 0 in money line plays this year. I got Detroit, but when I went on my little vacation, I did get a parlay in. I have a division parlay. So mm. I've got Buffalo, Kansas City, the Rams, and Tampa Bay on a four-teamer to win their divisions, and it pays plus 1249, and what I'm doing is I'm going to ride them all year on the money line. So I got them tomorrow. First half plays plus 608, 485. Green Bay wins the game. I'm going to lose that parlay but I'm taking Tampa Bay only because I'm not thinking. These are the teams I think are going to win their division. I'm going to bet them every single week on the money line, and my goal is to win enough money between now and the end of the season that those were free bets, and then I sell one of them on prop swap. Bada boom, bada bing. I could lose that bet and still have won more money. And anytime you win money and your team loses, Wes, that's what we do good at. I am going to bet against the money line. I really believe Miami is going to beat Buffalo outright. Do you really? I absolutely do. I love what I see, and they're playing in Miami. That's an advantage to them. I do believe it will be on the over. I think Miami's going to shock everybody, and they're going to take sole custody of that first place in the AFC East. Their pass defense or lack thereof is no concern of yours? Not at all. Because I think offensively, you saw what they did against the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore is a very good defensive team in a second half, and it's not just two. I, I think it's going to be very hard for Buffalo to defend Waddle and Tyreek Hill. It's shown the last two games. I know Buffalo, everybody thinks, is the best team in the NFL. I think there's a lot of weaknesses that we haven't seen because they haven't seen high-flying offenses. I think Miami is a high-flying offense, especially for their secondary, and their secondary is still questionable. I really think Miami is going to shock everybody and knock off the Buffalo Bills. Let's go with Jeopardy. Give me NFL for 200. 26, (laughs) 35, 56, 31, 37, 31, 42. Buzzer! What are the last seven amounts of points the Buffalo has put up on Miami? 260 points in seven games. And here's the perfect answer to that. I just think they're due, and I think Miami's for real. Miami had a, a period in the last couple of years where we were winning some money, especially in the second half. They were playing really good football. How about the kid's brother doing stuff at Maryland? They uh, do. That's pretty wild that they could have that much talent coming out of one lady. I don't think he is a first-round draft pick. I don't even think he's a second-round draft pick, but somebody's going to draft him because of who his brother is, and if his brother has this breakout season, which we're seeing right now, watch out. Anything is possible. Talia was on the Bama roster. Yes, correct. He played. He left Bama because he wasn't better than Bryce Young. Almost no quarterbacks that are better than Bryce Young, but this Buffalo-Miami game, I'm not touching it Mm -hmm. because there's enough validity to your beliefs in Miami in this game. I have a hard time siding against Buffalo here. Of course. Miami just hasn't proven enough on either side of the ball for me to say Miami or Buffalo. This one, I'm a spectator. I would love to see Miami take Buffalo down, but I don't want an angry Buffalo coming to Arrowhead in a couple weeks. I like to pull things out of my behind. My surprise game, and you might win a lot of money. Bet on Miami in this game. I think both teams will shoot over 53, high scoring. But in the end, Miami being that they're at home, they're going to be able to run against Buffalo. They're going to absolutely score against this Buffalo Bills team that has shown me, even though it's been two games, that there is some weaknesses in that line. And I think Waddle is for real. Tyreek Hill, Gusecki, it's going to be hard for Buffalo to stop all the weapons that they have in the open field. I don't think Buffalo is 
is the best team in the NFL as much as everybody thinks they are because of their first two games. Well, they put up 70. That'll get you some attention. When points get scored on Buffalo, we have what happened between Buffalo and Kansas City. We end up with a shootout. Tua versus Allen. I can't handicap this game. You mentioned something, Arrow, that's really, really important from a sports betting lesson standpoint, which is their due. How many times I told you the story when I'm in Vegas and it's red, 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 red at the rule table and all these schmucks are putting money on black because they're due. Black, no, black is not due. Always bet on black. Every, every game is an individual thing. This game is an individual thing. But there's no doubt that if you heard those seven numbers and you think Miami's going to play with those second numbers, that's an easy over because Buffalo was, they scored 56 in one of the games, 42, 37, mm. 35. If Miami puts up a couple touchdowns, you're going to get that over. No doubt it's going over. If it's a pick em, I'm picking Miami over Buffalo in this game. And I think Miami will take first place in the AFC. That doesn't mean they're going to hold on to it. The offensive line's still skeptic. And defensively, we saw against uh, the Baltimore Ravens in the first half, they don't have a pass rush. That's going to cause a lot of problems against Josh Allen. But I think because it's in Miami, it's going to be loud. It's going to be very hot. I think the advantage will be the Dolphins. How fun is it that at the beginning of the season, anybody that was willing to talk about football had the AFC West as the best division in football. Denver's a joke. That head coach. Ben McAdoo 2.0. <laughs> you got a potential Hall of Fame quarterback. Just the decision making there. The Chargers, there's now some questions there too. The Raiders are Raidering. So, I mean, that yes. division's kind of doing exactly what it did last year. But who would have thought to go to the AFC East? And Buffalo's Buffalo, right? Now here comes Miami playing well. New England is not going anywhere, but the Jets is what makes that division. I mean, that is the most interesting, toughest division in football. It's because the Jets and Miami are showing up. The basement is actually performing, and they're going to win some games. It is going to be 88 degrees on Sunday, and it's going to be raining. I think this benefits the better running team, Miami. Did no. we cover the Giants game Monday night? I have picked the Giants all season so far. I think the Giants are going to lose Monday night. I think the Cowboys' defense is going to put pressure on Daniel Jones. Daniel Jones has kept away from the fumbles, and that's something that we wanted to see this year with Dable, but I don't think he's the answer right now. Saquon Barkley, as well as he played in the first game, he did not look good in the second game. I think it's going to happen the same against Michael Parsons. Michael Parsons has been a beast. They have a great front seven right now, the Cowboys. I think it could be one of the top three defenses in all of football. And even their secondary with Diggs taking the ball away. Daniel Jones better be careful because if he forces the ball to any of his wide receivers, because who knows who they're throwing to. It's definitely not Galladay because he's complaining that he doesn't get enough snaps. I think it's going to be a big problem. I think the Cowboys, even with Cooper Rush, they beat the Giants outright. Here's an easy sports day to Back in November of 2020, you started betting the under in the Giants games. You're 11-2, but at home, you're 12-0-1. In the last 13 home games, the Giants have not gone over the total once in 13 games. John, Wes, and I have had stretches like that with teams, and it's sweet. When you don't have to handicap, you're just coming back, lock it and loaded, lock it and loaded on the same team that's covered for you for the last two months. And I want to see the Jets beat Cincinnati. I did pick the Jets beating Cincinnati, but something scares me that Cincinnati has not played the top level everybody thinks they were going to play this year, and I think going into MetLife Stadium, the advantage is that Cincinnati has not played at the top of their game, and I think that doesn't bode well for the New York Jets, because it seems like when a team needs to pour it on on somebody, 
They pour it on the Jets. I did pick the Jets to win this game, but Joe Burrow has made a couple of mistakes so far early this season. I don't think he's as bad as he shows. Going into this game, I think Joe Burrow will have a good game. The question is, are the Jets going to compete offensively like they did last week against a, a good offensive team? Hopefully, the Jets could do it and be able to stop the run, including against Chubb last week, who absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage, especially in the second half. Let's not bash the defense when you got such a guy like Chubb. He runs well. What I'll say about the Monday night game, that game's a double negative for me. Any NFC East matchup of any sort, I don't touch it. They beat each other up, and I once crunched all the numbers over the course of a decade, and it ended up being like 51-49 favorite versus underdog. Like, there was nothing definitive. And it didn't matter who had what injury or who was in what spot. So when I run through my plays for the week, I just cross that one off. And if it's a Monday night, I just cross it off. Yep. It's the easiest game to lose, and it's the easiest game to affect your emotion and your decision-making. <laughs> this game, since we brought it up, I'll tell you I like the over. 39, I believe Dallas or the Giants are going to put six on the board on the defensive side of the ball. So when you move that math backwards from 39, 7, so now it's 32. I think that they're going to get it. These games always have points, even if they have have a slow start but 10 to 3 in the first half I and mean, that's still pretty achievable 39 is very low so I think that this game goes over if I had no choice but to make a play I would lean towards Dallas but this is a pick em. there is no point which makes it even more difficult I think over is the play here if gotta have the action make or break you I think you play the over the Giants might have some pass rushers finally playing. You would think that would benefit the Giants' defense. I think taking out the guys that have been playing and playing good is going to affect their defense in the first game back for these two guys. And Thibodeau's season premiere stepping on the field for the New York Giants. I think there's going to be a lot of rookie mistakes. It's going to cause problems defensively the way the Giants have played over the last couple of days with Wink Martindale. So I think that the Cowboys are going to benefit from this. I think it will be on the over. I think they will score over 30. I think the Cowboys will come out the winner. Pick the Giants the last couple of weeks. I just don't know, even though it's in MetLife, that the Giants are going to pull off this win. I hope they both lose. Well, if they tie, they do both lose. <laughs> there you go. I think a tie is a loss. Now, in that division, 8-1 eight, eight and one could get you the title. I believe there'll be more ties this year than we've seen in the last 10 years. The last two weeks, I was on the right side of the New York prediction. I think the first week I said they're not going to both lose. Last week... I was on the Jets and they went outright. This week, the Bengals are such a wild card because I've been on the wrong side of the Super Bowl hangover team thinking they got it. The Jets have only had three sacks this season. But if there was a team in the league that was going to allow the Jets defense to establish some pass rush, it would be this terrible Cincinnati O-line. There's only two O-lines in the league I feel are equal or worse. Pittsburgh would be one and the Chicago Bears would be the other. The biggest red flag for me with taking the Jets in this spot was that half point I talked about earlier. But the Jets don't have a true running back. They don't have a running back that's statistically over 100 yards for the season. And you're going against what I believe to be a legitimate top five quarterback in Joe Burrow. And it makes it very difficult. But then you throw in that Super Bowl hangover thing that always seems to prove to be real. This might be the week that both New York teams lose. I will tell you this. Watch out for the Jets running game. It's going to get better. Brees Hall showed you last week what he can do. 50 yards, a touchdown. I think he's only going to get better. Michael Carter, if the Jets start going into the game and getting the lead, you're going to see this running game dominate. I think this is going to be one of the best running teams in football in the next three or four years. I, I think they have two beasts of backs. I think that these guys are not just good backs. I think they're great backs. And together and as a duel, I think they could so do it. It's better if a New York team is competitive with a Miami and a Buffalo. You're talking about establishing the, the rush. Yes. Is it going to happen this week against Joe Burrow? 
they go down seven, ten, nothing? No, it won't happen this week. It could start happening against Pittsburgh next week with a young quarterback coming back in Zach Wilson. Then you get Miami. They'll run against Miami. When they're down ten, nothing? I don't know if they'll be down ten, nothing. I think the Jets established they can play with those teams when they have a wide receiver like Garrett Wilson. I don't know if they have anybody that can stop Garrett Wilson in the middle of the field. I think he's proven one-on-one he's unstoppable. They're going to have to double-team, and if they double-team, even though I'm not a big fan of Corey Davis, it benefits Corey Davis in the open field one-on-one, and even Elijah Moore, who we haven't really seen enough, especially last week. They didn't throw the ball to him because... Everybody forgot about Garrett Wilson and how good Garrett Wilson is when we saw him play the little bit that we did in the first game of the season. And that's because of the damn stupid offensive coordinator for the New York Jets. Part of the schedule I'm most looking forward to with the Jets is when they get to week seven or eight. They're done with Pittsburgh. They're done with Miami. When they get to that stretch where they they go New England, then somebody else, then New England again, I think they're going to show up against Buffalo and they're going to face a huge point spread. And they're going to cover against Buffalo being a division game. And then they're going to play New England. So I think we get about three weeks out. Their record falls a little bit on the losing side, but not a true losing record. I think that's where the Jets become dangerous. My interest on the investing side of it, mm. finding some favorable point spreads on the Jets, I think we're going to start to see that on week seven. If the five. Jets, if they can win one of the next three games and they go into week six, two and three, Watch out for the Jets. I think the Jets could absolutely compete. Their schedule gets easier at the end of the season where they can win. They could pop up three, four, five wins in a row at the end of the season where they can win seven, eight games. This is where it gets juicy. They play Buffalo on Sunday the 6th, Mm -hmm. and it's in New York. Buffalo is coming off of Kansas City, then a bye week, then day before Halloween against Green Bay in prime time, and then they turn around and go to MetLife six days later. I'm circling that. 11-6, the Jets against Buffalo, they're going to show up to that game. They got a legitimate chance of winning. They've had a chance to establish that rushing attack against some really good quarterbacks. That circle 11-6, Buffalo goes to MetLife. Uh, It sounds like what a definition of a trap game could be. Hopefully, this team stays healthy and Zach Wilson's the real deal. And I think Garrett Wilson proven they can catch the ball in the open field. Watch out for the Jets because last year, Zach didn't have anybody to throw to. He really didn't have the weapons. They couldn't stay healthy. I think he has more than enough weapons to compete this year. And if he can move inside and out of the pocket, something that Joe Flacco can't do, and make every throw that Joe can, watch out for the Jets. I think the Jets could really surprise a lot of people, especially at running game if you have a quarterback that can move out of the pocket and do the things that he could do. You see what Tua's doing right now with Miami and how how scary he looks when you have a good running game. The Jets have a better offensive line than Miami. So just imagine Dwayne Brown comes back and Zach Wilson can make every throw that a guy like Flacco can make. And he definitely can. He's got a better arm than Flacco. I absolutely believe he could surprise a lot of people. And the Jets could surprise a lot of people this year. I don't know if they win. five TDs to one interception. That's great. No matter who you are. Yeah. He's played very well. I don't want to hear the Jet fans bring in White. I think it's ridiculous when I see it on social media. Because he beat the Bengals last year. Fans are fickle. It's been a great segment, as always. You guys are awesome. You guys know what you're talking about. It's going to be interesting this week, checking out some college football and looking at your picks with the Green Bay Packers and I believe the Giants are going to lose this week. Maybe we'll see another winning week by Wes and Chaz as always and if you guys like to spend money and you like to make money, you should be listening to Moneyline Mania every single week. This is a segment where you can make money and, and make sure that you're cashing tickets like you guys always say. That's what it is all a 
about. Thank you for joining us, and we will talk to you next week, as always. Always be cashing. Always be cashing. When we come back, we'll get into some interesting things going on in Boston as their head coach being suspended by their own team for a year. It doesn't make any sense, but we will get into that when we come back here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this is the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Daryl Marks. My co-host, Speedy Pete. Remember, kill the show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time. Only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. Download the World Wide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android. World Wide Sports Radio Network. It's no longer New York basketball, the joke of the town. It is... The Boston Celtics. I am not surprised. What I do know about this story, it is going to grow legs. It is not over. And Adoka, who is very well respected around the league. Brad Stevens, who is another very well respectable GM ex-coach, took over for Danny Ainge. Well, well, well. Danny Ainge definitely got out of office quicker and sooner than later because We did not hear about any of this stuff when he was the GM of this organization. This story is just crazy. I feel for the Boston fans, as crazy as it may sound. Really? I really do. You feel for Boston fans? Yes, because this isn't their fault, and I don't know what the team is doing. This has something to do with the coach and one of the women that work or they're a part of the organization. Now, there were stories coming out. He was messing around with somebody's wife. Yeah, the chief financial advisor. (laughs) Okay, but what does that have anything to do with the team? Let them handle this off air. Why don't they handle this outside of the game of basketball? This should not be going on when it comes to an organization and a very well-respectable organization in the NBA. This is a season that you expected to go all the way. You had a chance to go to the finals again this year and maybe win. You made some acquisitions. Brad Stevens has kept this team together. Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, Smart was Defensive Player of the Year. I, I think you have the understanding what this team is. Losing a year without your coach definitely affects the growth of these players. And everybody says, oh, you don't need coach. We'll see. Because I do remember what the Celtics were in the beginning of the season last year. And now you're bringing in a new coach. I don't care what he's teaching. Adoka is not allowed to be around the team for a year which means he's going to be sitting home and getting fat and watching this team on TV. I have a feeling he might be fired before the season ends when some of this story even comes out and it gets a little deeper, and the NBA investigates it. Yeah, Because I think the NBA doesn't know the whole story, and they will investigate this story. Yeah, the whole story is not complete yet. It's going to grow legs, like you said before. Matt Barnes was even saying he thinks it could even be like even 10 more different aspects of it that could end up happening. It could be more than one female staff member, not just the chief financial advisor's wife. There's also been statements being made from Brad Stevens that, again, he's going to be fair with all the employees, not just Adoka, too. So if that does end up case, it looks like he could be fired, too. If there is end up being more consensual relationships, yes, but still relationships that violated the team policies, and that's where Brad Stevens and the, uh, the ownership is going to look at it. And Possibly fire Odoka. I could definitely see it. You don't suspend a coach or a player if something is not significantly bad going on uh, behind closed doors. Right. They have to investigate this. Mm-hmm. This is not over. And uh, I think they'll try to hide it, especially if they start off strong this year. But if they start off bad, 
you know where this story is going to lead. Everybody's going to wonder what's going on and where this story really lies. And nobody's talking about it right now because Aaron Judge and all the stuff with the NFL. Nobody cares. But when basketball starts and this Celtic team isn't any good in the beginning of the season, and they fall apart, and with all the moves, uh, they better hope they start off strong. Yeah. Because if they don't, there's going to be a lot of problems and a lot of conversations on what really happened behind closed doors. And a lot of players that aren't going to be happy either. You know, NBA players are. The second something bad happens, they're going to want to be traded. We haven't heard LeBron James yet because he seems like he opens his mouth with everything with the NBA. Uh, Not yet, but who knows at this rate. Oh, you'll hear something. But, yeah, there's actually more other elements that could end up happening. We've heard stories that Udoka had some bad comments, like bad choice words towards a lot of these women, some some insults that we've heard violated those behaviors as well. He's dating a beautiful woman, too. Yeah, Nia Long was an actress, so (laughs) you cheated on her, and that doesn't help either. And also something came out where it looked like these was even starting in July, too. It wasn't even just now, so something that's been covered up for a while now. And by the way, she is married to Udoka, and she has one kid with Udoka, too. All right, all right. Kez Sunday Udoka. And she's a beautiful woman. I feel bad for Naya. She's in between this. The fact that this guy is cheating on her is just ridiculous. And she's 51 years old. She looks as good as she does. I feel bad for her. <laughs> she's she's going to get the brunt of this. And so yeah. are her kids. Who knows if it's uh, something in a contract or some kind of divorce settlement that could be pricey, too. Who knows? Well, she issued a statement of the suspicion. Naya says, I understand... The religious aspect of marriage, Long said during 2020 appearance at Essence Yes Girl podcast. That is beautiful, and it's fantastical, and it's dreamy, and it's every girl's fantasy to have that moment. I don't know that I need that. The fact is, the two or three people that get hurt are the children and the wife. Yeah, She didn't do anything wrong. It's Adoka who seems to not be able to keep his hands off of other women. I do believe that one way or another he's going to get fired from this. I can't see him keeping this job. And if they keep the job, fans are not going to like it because he's going to miss a season. What is Jason Tatum going to say? This is his free agent year where this is his last year of his contract. He might say, you know what, I don't want to be here anymore. I'd rather go somewhere else and play for another organization. I don't have to play for a, a coach that is cheating on his wife. This is bad for the Celtics. If you're a Celtic fan, I wouldn't be happy. They had one of those great runs. He is one of the best young coaches in the NBA. What he did for that Celtic team defensively was unbelievable, but it doesn't take away what he did off the court. The NBA is definitely going to investigate this story. Yeah, I would investigate the story. You cannot let Adoka and the Celtics handle this themselves. We have seen this before, and the NBA, Adam Silver needs to step in and figure out the truth behind the story. If there's anything else that we're not hearing, it will break, especially being in a big city like Boston. And when it does, Brad Stevens could get fired because he's the one who chose him to be the head coach and then tried to hide this because this has been hidden. This has been going on a whole season while they were winning. Yeah. So since July, so this whole this whole off season and a couple during the NBA finals, you can't too. T- yeah. you can't tell me that Brad Stevens didn't know what was going on. Yeah, he Looks knew what way. was going on. Yeah. July, August, September, October. Come on, guys. And if it is multiple female staffers too, who knows who else ends up knowing and covering stuff up at this point? I think it's going to come out. I, I really do. Oh, yeah. And then there's Robert Sarver and. 
Robert Sarver was not pushed out like Sterling was. Donald Sterling got pushed out. The NBA Doc Rivers, they pushed him out. He had to sell the team. Nobody pushed Sarver. And, and, and some people believe that Sarver said a lot of worse things than Donald Sterling did. And I've heard that a lot of these owners really love Robert Sarver. He's very well respected around the league. Even their players, Chris Paul, spoke very highly of him as an owner, as a family guy, uh, as a person that he came to respect, brought him in uh, to help grow this team and take this team to the next level, trusted him with this franchise. It's sad. Not for Sarver, because he's disgusting. Some yeah. of the things that he said, absolutely disgusting. And then... And, and the things that came out. But this is what social media does. So many forms, different forms of bigotry, too. There was racism. There was uh, bad language towards women, bad language towards religion, too. It's just a lot that all added up. And a lot of people were thinking this even went back to, like, 2019, too. And he's been able to hold on the team for so long. If you know social media is going to kill you, why are you on it? If you say one thing and it breaks on social media, even if you said it and you erase it, on Twitter, no, they yeah. can find it. Oh, yeah. They will find it, and they will eat you up alive. That's why you have to be careful on what you say and how you say it on social media because if the press wants to attack you, they will. They'll find something. Even me, I do radio. If I say one stupid thing and it comes out wrong, somebody will find it. And if I'm big or I'm a big, high-paying, profile radio show host, and somebody wants to destroy me, they can and they will. It's sad, but this is the way the country works. These journalists make money causing controversy. Controversy sells in this world. But some things like this are just better left than house. Another Chris Paul team. They're going to get somebody that has a lot of money and very well respected. If anything, this benefits them. Yeah, I think long-term it definitely will. You wonder how much the noise will carry into the season with this. But I think Sarver, in comparison to other Issues like this in the past. Uh, kudos to him for actually actually make the decision to actually sell the team right away. Too. Absolutely, we've seen a lot of issues with that. There are other NBA owners with the NFL too. So at least, obviously, nobody's defending what he said, but at least did that right. It's unfortunate. The story will be over when he sells the team. I thought he was going to hold on to the team and, and try to figure things out as the season progressively moves forward. Maybe talk to the players one on one and try to get them to understand that he made a mistake. People make mistakes. People say. The wrong things. I've said some wrong things over my years. I don't say it on air. I try to keep away from it. But you do make mistakes. Everybody makes mistakes. You're human. But sometimes with the way the world works now and the country, I don't care how you're brought up. You learn how to respect women, sexual origin, religion, everything. You have to learn how to respect people for what they are. And if you don't, boy, oh, boy, you're going to get attacked. You will lose your job. People don't care. This is the way the world works. Unfortunately, everybody should understand the way this world and, and the way it's changed. Respect people for who they are, not what they are. When we come back, Speedy, what do we got? Crunch time! Here on the Weekend Crunch. We are back, ladies and gentlemen. As you know, this it's the Weekend Crunch. I'm your host, Errol Marks. My co-host, Speedy Petey. Remember, can listen to our show every single Saturday from 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. New York Eastern Time only on 103.9, the LI News Radio Network. Brought to you by New York Sports Team Magazine and the World Wide Sports Radio Network. 
Download the Worldwide Sports Radio app by going to iOS, WWSRN, or Android, Worldwide Sports Radio Network. I'd like to thank Fox Sports NFC East reporter Ralph Facciano for joining us. Moneyline Mania, as always, as we are ringing and dinging into the new year. As we have Halloween around the corner, then we're going to have Thanksgiving, and then Christmas, and then New Year's. It's crazy. It goes fast. Mm -hmm. We're going into October. Happy fall to all those people out there that celebrate uh, the different seasons. I am excited because it's going to get cooler. And I won't sweat. So there you go. No more of the heat and humidity. Yay. All right. Speedy, you ready? Yeah, it is time for Crunch Time. It's time for Crunch Time. All right, we'll start it off with the worst of the worst in the NFL so far. Colts, Bengals, Raiders, all underwhelming in the AFC. Buy or sell, one of those teams will still make the playoffs. There's one. There's one team, and that's Indianapolis. And the reason why ladies and gentlemen, is they're in the worst division in football. Anybody that's in a division with the Texans, the Jaguars, and the Tennessee Titans right now that have no quarterback, yes, no quarterback in Tannehill, who's absolutely horrible, and an offensive line that's been crap, and no wide receivers at all, I I, I can't see them winning. And I, I, I don't see the Tennessee Titans figuring out how to win, being that they're 0-2. I think Indianapolis is the only one of those three teams, so I will buy that. I'm going to buy it, but I'm going to go a different approach. I'm going to say the Bengals. I think that I still could see the Bengals getting the last spot because I still think their defense has played well. And I think Joe Burrow has still overcome adversity to some extent, battling. And just like Zach Taylor and that offensive line just really have to turn things around. They were kind of like this last year. They were kind of average to begin the season and got it going late. I think Not 0-2. We'll th- no, they weren't 0-2. They did win their first game, but still. And they I, could be 0-3 this I, week. I, I think they'll be fine. I don't think they'll win the division, but I think they've got a wild card spot. So I'm going to buy but say the Bengals. All right. Buy or sell. The Celtics will not be a top four seed in the East with an interim coach. I'm going to buy it. I, I don't know what this team is, and I don't think an interim coach is going to change the way this team was in the beginning of the season last year. You're going to have to start all over with a new coach and all over with a, a new philosophy. Even though he's the same assistant coach on the bench from last year, it's not the same coach. It's a different philosophy. So, I, I buy it. I, I don't think they're going to be a top four team. They, they'll be lucky if they make the playoffs. Uh, I'm going to sell just because I don't know who that other team is going to be leaping. I like the Cavs, obviously, upgrading with Donovan Mitchell. But How about he, the Pistons? Uh, I don't know about top four this year. They're still Why young not? all at once. I think they're going to be – I think the Pistons are going to be like the Cavs last year. I think they're going to make that rise a fun young team. I just don't know if anyone else really got significantly better. Or I don't know if the Celtics record is going to be like worthy of a top four of the past, but I, I just don't know if there's another team. You think in, they're a top four team? I, I, in the East, I just don't trust anyone else right now. They're so. not a top four I, team. I, I'm going to sell it. Not a top four team, 100%. All right, uh, one more NFL one. Uh, one of these three dual threat quarterbacks, Lamar Jackson, Jalen Hurts, or Kyler Murray, will lead their team in rushing this week. Mm. Lamar Jackson. I'm going to predict that. Lamar Jackson is, is meant to to go out there and have a 100-yard game. He hasn't really done it yet this year. I think he did it one time, actually. Did he do it? Uh, yeah, I think he did because yeah, he had the 75-yard touchdown run against the Dolphins. The so, Dolphins. Yeah. So he's done it. I think he'll do it again this week. Not Kyler Murray. I think he's been using his arm more this year. And uh, who, Jalen Hurts, who played well. Uh, he has played well. I don't think he's going to run 100 yards. I think he's got so many weapons around the field. I don't think they want him to use his legs too much. So I think it's Lamar Jackson if it's anybody. 
Yeah, I'm going to buy it, too. I'm going to say Lamar Jackson uh, is going to be right there because the Patriots have struggled against running quarterbacks in the past, and the front seven definitely not as good as it was last year either. I think Jalen Hurts will be close. I just think they're going to have too much uh, shovel passes and, like, scat-type plays, too. So uh, I am going to buy Lamar Jackson as well. All right, one more college football one. Oregon State, 3-0 this season. They cover minus six at home versus number seven, USC. I'm going to buy it. I think Oregon State has played well this year. I, I, USC has been very impressive. Obviously, with uh, Riley over there, Lincoln Riley, he's a very good offensive mind. Uh, they, they, over the last couple of years, USC has been more of a defensive team than they are have been of an offensive team. Now with uh, Riley over there, they expect to, to be more of a high-flying offense. They're, they're going to recruit, recruit offensive players, and they've played well offensively. It's just the defense that uh, now I'm – and, and that, that has a lot to do with Lincoln Riley. He, he's not a defensive-minded coach. Yeah. Uh, but Oregon State have been very, very good. Uh, they're, they're good on both sides of the ball, and they can run the ball. And I, I think if you can run against this team, you're going to be able to hold the ball and keep the ball out of uh, USC's hands. And that's what you want to do. So I believe it'll be close. I'm going to buy it. I'm going to sell it. I think this is a lot like uh, Arkansas last year when they had their breakthrough and then they finally had a, a bigger game against Alabama and, and then they got blown out. Even though they were at home, they got they played well in the first quarter and then really got exposed after that. I think you're going to see that kind of thing with Oregon State too. Kind of, they, they're not a surprise program. They rose last year and made a bowl game. But still, I think this is a big test. USC's got a lot of good offensive weapons on that team. Yes, their defense hasn't been great yet, but that wasn't their main recruiting aspect and also the transfer portal, too. But I do think USC wins. I don't think they're going to win by 20 or anything like that, but I think they do win by double digits. I am going to sell it. All right, last one. Aaron Judge will win the American League Triple Crown. I'm going to buy it. I am going to buy it. I, I am going to believe that this guy wants to break uh, you know, records. He wants to be the first Yankee since Mickey Mantle to do it. Why not a, a great power hitter, one of the better and more popular players in baseball in Aaron Judge? I will buy it. I will disagree. I am going to sell this one because you're going for the home run record. You're going to try to pull the ball more. It depends on how quickly he'll get that because then he can focus on the triple crown. But I mentioned Luis Arias in our baseball segment. They have a lot of easy pitching staffs coming up, probably outside of the White Sox who have some good pitchers. They got a lot of easy matchups. And Arias isn't a power hitter. He's going to focus on that more and trying to win that. So I think, not Bogarts, I think it'll be Arias that's steals it from Judge slightly. Aaron Judge will get the home run record. I predict it'll be uh, next week against the Blue Jays, but I don't think he gets a triple crown. I am going to sell it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you to Ralph Acchiano for joining us as always. A new an improved NFC voice and and reporter for the NFL and a guy that's very well respected around the NFL. Thank you for joining us. Moneyline Mania, Chaz and Wes, as always, keep picking those winners. We will be back next week with new guests and new personalities as we are the voices of New York and Long Island sports. Please keep listening to us as always, and we'll be back next week. Good night.